just when you thought it was safe to go onto iTunes. This is Next Level Guy. The only website that makes self-development as fun as going to the movies. It's time to take the red pill and escape the Matrix. What's happening, guys? It's time for another episode of the Next Level Guy Show podcast with your favourite chukter, Ian Doss Mackay. Next Level Guy is a go-to men's interview, interest and improvement website where I quiz experts to find out the hacks, tips, methods and protocols that you can implement in your own life to take it to the next level and live happier, healthier, wealthier, sexier and so much more. Today's guest is Neil McTaggart, who's a professional coach and an amateur dad. He's been a professional trainer by day and a dad blogger by night. Neil has coached for over 20 years and has been a dad for just a handful. Neil aims to provide users with an insight to both the fitness lifestyle and the dad journey by combining both roles and sprinkling on a touch of humour on his hilarious Facebook page, Amateur Dad. His long-suffering wife, Jen, makes the odd appearance and gives an insight into her fitness lifestyle and her amazing transformation as she went from a former gym hater and is now a hot mama too. On the other side of the coin, Neil is a professional coach. He's got over 20 years of experience and he considers himself a student of all things strength and movement. Over the past two decades, he's studied many aspects of fitness to provide his clients with multiple solutions to their problems. His client base is often seen as quite advanced given their levels of strength and performance, but this coach simply states that his best students are just beginners that keep on showing up. In this interview, we discuss his story, fitness, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, how becoming a father changed him and what he's learned during this time, skill development, parenting insights, how he's using the COVID-19 downtime to make himself a better man as well as a parent, and how to become the parent you'd want your kids to try and emulate once they've grown up. This interview is two hours long, but it really only feels like half an hour. Neil is so charismatic and funny, as well as giving such awesome gems throughout, that it only feels like half an hour, and you just connect with Neil because he's instantly likeable. You will really enjoy this one, and I know you'll become a big fan of his. And now, let's get to the interview. Thank you so much for doing this, Neil. Really appreciate it. You're an absolute legend in the social media at the moment, but (laughs) for maybe those who don't know you, could you just give a quick intro, you know, who you are, why you're so well known, you know, just a bit about you. Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, first, thanks for having me on. It's brilliant. And uh, as sort of we were saying there, you are popping my cherry on this. So uh, this is my first podcast. So my name is Neil McTaggart. I've just recently turned 40. Don't look it. Um, <laughs> um, and I'm a professional coach, amateur dad. So I've been a personal trainer for sort of um, 20 plus years and a dad now for just about four so in terms of being known i was known in fitness because i've i'm sort of like there's not a lot of guys have been personal training you know it's quite a new industry so the fact that i've been in it sort of 20 years i'd be well known and then my dad blog went viral a couple of times with some of the posts maybe reaching like five million people maybe um so at the minute the page has about thirty-five thousand followers of just organic people who follow the page you know so um yeah professional coach amateur dad and i'm currently living just outside belfast in bangor with my wife uh long-suffering wife and two kids so i have a four-year-old and a two-year-old so yeah that's the, the elevator pitch of some description there i think it's the glutton for punishment my sister's got three wee ones and i love being the uncle at the moment but i can hand them back but i mean <laughs> Did is this how you seen your life kind of 
starting out? I mean, what did you want to be as, as an adult, you know, as a child? Um, did you always want to go into the fitness side of things? Did you always want to be married with the kids? Uh, yeah, it's a funny one. Like, if, if you'd asked me when before I met Jen, so I met Jen when I was like 31. And if you'd asked me a year before that, I didn't see myself being married, actually. You know, it had a couple of girlfriends, a couple of long-term things, and just didn't see just didn't imagine it, you know, until I met Jen and then we just hit it off and I knew on the first date I was going to marry her and, you know, it was, it was just perfect. Um, so yeah, if you'd asked me wanted to be my life, I suppose it's a lot of it's turned out the way I thought it would in terms of the fitness side of it. But I, I got into fitness when I was 15. So I started training, I was skipping school to go to the gym because my brother brought me to it. I was a skinny kid. Work-wise, it was just I didn't know what I wanted to be or whatever, and uh, I went to my first gym at fifteen as a skinny kid, and I sort of got into it. And um, within a couple of months, people were saying like, "Oh, you can see the difference. You know, your your fairly your strength's coming on. You can see a bit of muscle. What are you doing?" And then I say I was skipping school to go training or going home to get food, and because I was maybe doing squats that night and deadlifts, so. I ended up starting to help people in the gym. I was like, oh, you know, guys asking for advice, and you were training a couple of mates. And I, I just had that epiphany of, I, I think I could do this. So when I actually said in school, like to my careers advisors and stuff, oh, I'd love to work in a gym. And they were like, yeah, so what about a real job? <laughs> and that was the sort of careers advice I was given. Um, so yeah, I just sort of bummed about a bit. And I gradually um, became obsessed with fitness. Like in school, I would have failed exams and it wouldn't have been great. But when I get into fitness, it was like, this interests me. And when it interested me, I want to study more about it, know more about it, and consume yourself. And and I suppose that like Dunning-Kruger effect, I think is a term where, you know, you, you, you're in it a wee bit and then you start to realize how much you don't know and you want to know more. And um, I just became obsessed with the fitness side of it. Yeah. It absorbs you, doesn't it? It just kind of takes over your life. It's like jujitsu. Oh. Once you realize how little you know, you're like, oh, for the love of... But I mean, when into that, what made you realize, because I've seen you write, uh, write about that on your um, Facebook page about how you knew Jen was the one for you there and then on the first date. I mean, I thought you were just going for brownie points then. Like, but yeah. what, what was it about her, about the situation that made you feel she was the one for you? Was there like signs that you had noticed with like red flags with other girlfriends that or was it just like a general connection that it just felt right? You know? Yeah. Could you put it in words, do you think? Because I've only ever had one relationship where I've felt like I could marry that person. The yeah. rest were kind of head cases, shall we say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think, yeah, I think there's a thing too, you know, when you're in your 20s, a lot of your mates are sort of getting engaged and getting married. And you're sort of, you're maybe with a girlfriend, you sort of think, well, this is the right one because of the timing sort of thing, you know, but um I had a couple of friends actually and a girl that sort of was one of my managers back in the day and I remember seeing her with her husband and she seemed super loved up and I remember thinking you can't that must be an act there's no way they can be that much in love and all the rest of it and then when I met Jane I met her in a bar as they always say you don't meet people in bars but I met her in a bar and I was I'd had a few beers in me at that stage and uh bumped in there got chatting we booked a date um and just on the date I just thought this this is just so right. There's just, it was hard to put words on it, but you could have just sat, you know, into these, like you could sit all night chatting and, and we were from very different sort of backgrounds. Like I was from North Belfast and quite a rough school and everything else. And Jen was really well educated. She was doing her chartered accountancy. So it was a bit of a, um, 
you know, I was the, the lower class boyfriend. Like when I first met her dad, I remember he came in, we were at her mom's house and um, Jen was back at home at that stage. And uh, her dad walked in, there's me with the tattoos and, you know, the kid from sort of Ballyson, which is a rough sort of area. And then there's their daughter who played the violin and was a chartered accountant and, you know, the apple of the eye. Um, so on paper, we actually didn't make sense probably, but as a, as a husband and wife team, we are just an A team, you know? Um, but it just happened. And I, it's funny, I sit in a lot of like dad forums and stuff, cause obviously I do the dad blogging and I'm be a part of a lot of forums and there's so many guys come on and say, listen, I'm going to commit suicide or I'm in a really bad place or whatever. I'm 30 and I haven't got my shit together. And you're like, I think of how much of my life has improved in the last couple of years. Just, you know, it, it just keeps getting better. And I think you just keep chipping away and, and you'll meet the right people and you'll surround yourself in the right network if you're open to it, you know? Because you, you do see that. So it's like, we're in a society now where like older people can do gap years and, you know, people getting married at like 80, 90 years old. Mm. So I think we're getting to that point where we kind of need to think, yeah, the two and a half kids relation, you know, the house, the car, that's not for everybody. And it's an old, totally. old fashioned ideal of what we're expected to do. Like women, I suppose, are getting more pressure because they're expected to have kids by yeah. 30, married and all that. But nowadays we can do what we want. I mean, you can order a date online. You can order a taxi. You can order food to your house. Now we're getting into cars with strangers, you know, when we're told for years growing up, it just makes no sense. This world, like, but, I mean, Screw it. I mean, you were, how did your attitude change? Because you always seemed like this really outgoing, funny guy. Your writing when you were in men's health was like really funny. You kind of connected to like the normal person rather than, yep. you know, one of these guys who talked about like the highest virtue stuff and people go what the fuck is this on about you know you had a way of just connecting and coaching people with your writing and it was really it was amazing to read it and like your plans made sense and it was so good to kind of find somebody like that when you were starting in the gym like i was at the time but you seemed a pretty cool lad i think is what the kids call it (laughs) okay Um, how did your like how did you think you needed to change when you became a dad did you have that discussions to say now is the right time for kids or was there much planning because i've often wondered like i've got friends with kids you know how much planning did you put into you know now's the right time for kids uh it's funny there's a there's a couple of parts in that and i'll probably i'll probably do the writing part first so in terms of my writing like i remember failing english and english lit in school i'll end up but i got a not to fail it but i just had a very average achievement level at it but my mom was actually, she had been a teacher and she taught like French, German and English um, and was very well educated and a, an intelligent woman with no common sense at all. And my dad was the other side. He was uh, a bit of a schemer, skiver. He'd been a bricklayer, joiner and uh, had a real good wit and street sense. So I found that probably from those two, I had some sort of... Uh, way of putting things together but with like my dad's spin on it so when i wrote people always said to me like i say i'm not a trained writer it was i had a bit of a fitness blog maybe 15 years ago and um when i was writing i was just writing it from a very relatable angle you know i just i just wrote the way i spoke to people which is probably the thing um and yeah guys just seemed to connect to that and then when i started my amateur dad the sort of facebook page um at the time, I'd done some articles, like I'd done a 12-page article for one of the men's fitness-type magazines, 
and it got translated into German and French and you know it did all the usual and I thought I was just not really enjoying this and then as the kids came along well just just as my eldest was born I thought I'd love to write again but do it as a dad and do it because you don't feel under the same pressure like if you write about fitness or you talk about a lot of times you do have to reference you know where are you getting that information from what's the studies done you know where where's is the dad life it's lovely being able to write it purely from my experience and you don't have to back it up with some you know like a 10 page citation or pubmed or something you just this is how it is you know so i, I love just the, the human element of what i do whether it's training or the dad i mean it certainly comes across in your writing because you know, when you read these like articles in, you know, like Men's Health Journal, all these kind of things, they come across as like, oh, you know, and if you take such and such amount of protein and do, 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 you know, it's like they, it's like people don't talk. But when I listen to some of your conversations on like you, you and Jen or you and the kids on your page, people can relate because we've all got mental lives. And, you know, you have these conversations, you go, geez, don't ever let that be seen outside her. <laughs> and then, you know, and it's like, don't don't tell anybody she said that. And, you know, when you go, oh, wait till you hear, uh, hear what my kid said, you know. And it's, yeah, yeah. I think it's so relatable and it really comes across in your writing. And it, it's strange that, you you know, you don't feel yourself as a writer because you're actually one of the best, right? Like, you know, you're easily one of the most connectable people. And I think that's why your page has become so successful. Yeah. Like it's crazy. Like some of the comments I get, it's mad. Like, you know, there was a girl who messaged me on the page saying she was going through a cancer treatment and just, she was sitting there in tears laughing at one of the posts, you know? Um, I think the big thing for me is I know a lot of good coaches on paper, right. And guys who have done a lot of qualifications and they're, you know, on paper, they look brilliant but they weren't great in the real world. And I always thought, well, what, what makes a good coach? It's not what you know or what you think you know. It's how you communicate that to the person in front of you. And that's the important thing. And I always like the idea of, I, I probably see myself as a, a content creator and a communicator where, you know, you're creating this content and it's, you're communicating it across and people buy into it or relate to it because you're just ticking the same boxes, you know? Um, so yeah, that's how I would view myself as a communicator. So at the time when, you know, like, did you discuss the, the, having the kids, I mean, or was it a case of you just knew it I'm felt right? And the the pull-out method, I just haven't. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to ask, like, what was your preferred, like, <laughs> you know, condoms? Because <laughs> I've, I've only yeah. had sort of two potential... I would call them scares now when I know the the relationship of what it went after. You yeah, know? Yeah. But I've kind of often wondered, there's only one person I probably would have, you know, and I remember she had to get a pregnancy test before an operation. And I remember thinking, I wouldn't be disappointed if it came back, yes. You know, and that kind of blew me away that I could feel that way about somebody. But, I mean, was this... Um, can you remember that moment of being told you were going to be a dad? That, yeah. Like, what yeah. kind of hit you? Um, it's that I remember pooping my pants. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, I think like myself and Jen, we we'd been working really hard. We got a lovely house, which is our house we're in now. Um, it was sort of a bit of a dream home. You know, we for a couple of years we'd just been working and saving, and we put a good deposit down. And um, we'd been in our house about a year, and we had the two cats, and we were we were sort of happy. You know, everything was good work wise, and we were settled. And um, 
was just one of those things that happened. Jen got pregnant quite quick. Obviously, I'm extremely fertile, and um, it was just um, <laughs> she had a few wines, and that was it. You know, there you go. Um, Sounds like yeah. a good Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it is a surreal thing, you know, and um, you know, seeing the pregnancy test, and I still remember the shakes of Jen, like, um, and then it's just that surreal thing of oh, I am going to be a dad here, and I do, you know. At the time, I was 36. So, yeah, I would have been 36 now, 35, 36. And uh, you just think, I, you know, you're never ready. You know, I, I've, I know guys will say, oh, I'm, I couldn't re- I'm not ready to have kids or whatever. I don't think you're ever ready. It's just it comes along. And it's crazy as humans how quick we're able to adapt to it and just get on with it, you know. Um, but it's t- it is a tough, tough process, and obviously for the the women going through the whole pregnancy thing, and you know, there's the ups and downs of that with sickness, being self-employed as well. Like I'm self-employed, seventeen years, you don't really get any sort of downtime. You're always working. It's hard, and then when the kid comes along, it's you know you're thrown into this, especially as guys. It's hard for men, I think, because the women have um, had a lot more of obviously the pregnancy feelings and everything else. And yeah, as a guy, you're present there, but it's only when you're handed that baby, you're like. Oh shit! I I am now a dad, and and I'm responsible for this little little thing here. It's just a crazy, crazy. The second one, you don't really care. You're like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> the first one, it was, <laughs> yeah. It's it's There's a, that story in there. It's like the first one. It's like pre, you have to have everything organic. You have to have like oh. goose feather pillows and all that. And the second one, you're like, ah, pick it up for the floor and get on with it. You know, just do it. all the photos. We have the photographs up of our eldest, and we did the you know the swimming lessons and the baby yoga and all this sort of stuff. And the second one's out in the garden eating grass, probably as we speak. <laughs> I don't even know. She's, <laughs> I don't even know where she is. I might have to, you know, have a look out the window. But leave the door open for her in the middle of the night. Ah, she'll come back. We'll get, we'll get her in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't tell I'm a second child, like. <laughs> yeah, I'm just a middle child, totally neglected, like. So you've got two brothers. I mean, have they got kids, or I mean, did you have any practice before this of being like? Because your brother's got a kid, I believe. Yeah. So my older brother, um, he had a kid who's now an adult. I think my nephew's probably like nineteen now. Um, and my older brother is a, is a tortured genius, um, really intelligent guy. He could have been a professional snooker player. When he went for uh, guitar lessons, he was better than the guy that was teaching the lessons. He's owned multi-million pound companies. He walked away from a company and ended up becoming a window cleaner for a while, just with stress. And he would have sold like uh, paintings and drawings. And it's just, just a very intelligent guy. So he now works in IT um, and he has a son was my nephew and then my younger brother had Crohn's disease so he's sort of been up and down with that it's been quite hard on him um, and he now has two kids so it's funny that the younger brother is a proper machine he's in IT as well and same idea you know could listen to a song and play it on the guitar and he can sing and just just these talented bastards you know so it's, it's, it, there's a bit of comp- not so much competition but I think we are all sort of tortured perfectionists you know we're never good enough and it's it's hard. You put a lot of pressure on yourself that, yeah, this is good, but that can make it better, you know? And uh, I think we've always been like that, just constantly striving to be better versions of ourselves, you know? So, yeah, t- two brothers and um, my mom and dad are actually dead now this weekend, sort of. Uh, well, they would have been. Uh, I'm sorry to read that. I mean, it's yeah. but one, of my, one of my questions was about, like, you know, did uh, do you feel like now when you look back at that, like the stuff that you went through as a kid, the parenting and stuff like, do you now understand why they maybe had told you off in a certain way or guided you in a certain way? You know, because 
you were saying that you can, you were closer now to Jen's parents, and so, I mean, you mentioned on the blog about how you missed the they didn't get the opportunity to meet Alex and that, you know. And it's have you come to sort of did you know? Is can you come to peace with that at all? Is it's is it something you struggle with now and then, or yeah? Um, so my mum. It was her birthday yesterday. She would have been 71 and she died when she was 63. And dad died six months after my mum. So there was one year, it was like 18 months where me and Jen got engaged. Uh, we'd moved house, changed cars, changed jobs. My mum died. Six months later, my dad died. We got married three months later. I, like it was just Jeez, it was, a roller coaster. It was, it, was, it was 18 months of just, it was like an adult quiz. Because <laughs> I remember going to like the city hall to get like, marriage certificate stuff and also leave in like death certificate stuff for my mom. Um, and it was just like, it was being interviewed to be an adult, you know, you just get hit with all this sort of stuff. But, uh, it's funny, like, um, I do think about my mom and dad quite, you know, they obviously feature quite a lot, but the other side of it is I think they raised me to be strong and, and a, a good person. So I always think, although they're not here, they've sort of passed on the mantle and that's your sort of role as a, I always think, you know what, they did a good job. Although looking back now, I think my parents were just winging it, like just completely <laughs> winging it. And you don't realize until you are a parent, like um, how much they did. But uh, yeah, I suppose it would be nice to see them again. And, you know, it's it's sad. It, it's, it was become one of those things, like when your parents die, you're on that conveyor belt and you see them nearly drop off the edge and you become very aware of your own health and fitness and longevity mm-hmm. and... And, you know, I'm, I'm very, obviously I take my health very serious and I'm thinking, you know, I'm 40 now and, you know, 20 years ago I was 20, you know, and that didn't seem that long ago. So in 20 years, oh, I'm 60. Passes in seconds, eh? Yeah. And then in 20 years, I'm 60 and my mom and dad died at 63 and I'm already, and then you start doing the miles and you just think, you know what, I just need to enjoy as much of this as possible and just try and be as long, around as long as possible. You know, it's, it's. Like when my mom and dad passed away, it did change a lot of my thought process regarding work and stuff, you know. Like I remember my dad phoned me and says, um, it was a bit of a cat's in the cradle thing. He phoned me and says, oh, we'll have to meet up and go fishing because um, they were from Fermanagh originally, but were, lived in Belfast. He moved back to Fermanagh, which is a big fishing part of Northern Ireland. They've got all the lakes and everything. And he phoned me and says, oh, do you want to go fishing? I'm like, oh, I can't. I'm working. And I was personal trainer at the time. So you're working six in the morning, 10 at night, Saturdays, whatever. And um, so I never got to go fishing with him. And I'd always felt like the tables had turned. You know, he says, ah, oh, you're always working. And I was like, but I have to. It's, you know, it's what I do. And so now I'm very conscious of the amount of time I spend with the kids is just totally different, you know. So uh, that's my yeah. motivator is, is enjoying life and having time to enjoy it with the wife and kids, you know. I mean, it's definitely it's great. I mean, because you're definitely doing an awesome job, and they've obviously ra- raised you right. And you know, because you can see the love and the tension, and the, you know, the the strong connection. I suppose, or love for, for the kids and for you know your marriage and stuff. Because when I grew up, I was littered with schoolmates who had broken homes, mm. no father figure, stuff like that. But when I had um, had three grandparents die of cancer within the same year, like oh. over it crossed over a year. And that's why I've, I remember seeing, that was the first time I'd seen my mom and dad as people, not parents. Yeah. And that's when I kind of went and, oh, and then I, but I could see them talking through the grief about, and they kind of understood things or discussed things. And you're kind of going, oh, they're just like us. 
they don't know, but they've they've got to be the strong person and the connection and stuff like that. And it, it's strange in it is when you see your parent as a person, not just a parent, not as this like God yeah. in your life kind of thing. And because it's I, really, I saw my mom, I think, cry twice because mom would never. She always put on a brave face and was a bit of the rock of our household. Like, and one of those I remember was at my granny's funeral was the first I really saw her cry and that was like wipe the tears and you move on and just get on with it you know uh, it was funny when my dad died so he had a heart attack yeah, it turned out he had cancer but we didn't know this until after he had like bowel cancer but he died of a heart attack and he, he phoned his mate and he was having a heart attack at the time and says you know listen I need to lift the hospital and I'm, I'm not well here and as he was in the car he turned to his mate mid heart attack and this is my dad Oliver he said um, if anything bad happens to me I'm going to come back and haunt you. <laughs> and then he died about literally 10 seconds later. And his mate was like, you fucking bastard. <laughs> you know? And that, that so it was, uh, it's funny where we, mom was always very serious and very straight faced, but dad, no matter what the situation was, it was like, I have to get a joke in here. <laughs> you know, that was his way of sort of dealing with stuff. Even that, you know, he sounds awesome. dad was always the one that, you know, we were at a serious, proper family funeral and people were in wrinkles in the corner and dad was nearly doing like stand-up, <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah. Is that where you get your sort of humor from, do you think? Is that he, that sort he, of... my, yeah, my dad was the wittiest person. And I know everyone will put their dad obviously on a bit of a pedestal. He was a balloon and a bit of a tit. Um, <laughs> but he, I'll have to put some uh, <laughs> understanding for other people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, he, so he, he'd been an uh, alcoholic, actually, my dad. So he hadn't had a drink in about 30-odd years, but um, he still held the meetings and stuff. And he well, still went to AA, and he went out to America to, like, Dr. Bob's house and, did the, you know, to see all, the, all that sort of stuff in his grave and stuff. And um, But he would have hosted a lot of meetings. But for him, any, the way of dealing with anything was always humor. It always sort of got him through, you know. Um, I definitely got that from him. I, I always thought wit was the most impressive thing. It's like when you watch the old Blackadders and stuff, and obviously it's scripted and everything else, but I just saw dad in conversations with people and just just thought that's how he has entertained that person and made them just so happy. It always stuck with me, you know? Um, the way some people are doom and like dad would have been doom and gloom, but then he was able to just switch it and just turn it around and see the fun side of it, you know? Um, and the real side of it, probably. Because it was hard, like obviously, you know, Growing up in Belfast and or Northern Ireland was never great through those sort of times, you know. So I think you needed that bit of positive outlook on things, you know. Yeah, because it's quite a, it's quite sad nowadays that it's almost like accepted that you know guys are growing up without father figures or any kind of male role models, and you know there's that um what was his name Rob something or other. It's like Dad, how do I? And his channel, like YouTube where he teaches kids, yeah, he teaches kids how to like, do like you know what, how to use a spanner, how to tie a tie, and, and the his videos are going viral. And you think it kind of shows what we're missing in our society as well. You know, we're we're not teaching the kids what they need to do and stuff like that, but we're also not giving them that kind of role model of the you know the the guy that teaches them the strength or and this is why they're looking for other guys to kind of connect with yeah unfortunately it's in gang situations and stuff but no they did a you know i mean they obviously did a fantastic job with you i know you'll probably you'll struggle to take that as a compliment <laughs> like that. Yeah. but i mean like you've obviously because to go through that and the marriage 
and you know like having the kids and running a bit you know that is phenomenal like that is a true strength of character it's true strength of you know of you as a person i mean people would have crumbled under that so how did you deal then with like when alex was born premature was that something that you kind of was that a worry or did you just take it into your usual kind of stride and just like yep let's just get on with it let's just deal with as it comes yeah like um a big thing was my mom uh died of lung cancer. So for my 17th birthday, I remember she asked me, what do you, what do you want for your 17th birthday? And I said, stop smoking. And she stopped smoking that day. It was literally, she'd stop. But years later, she beat breast cancer and then lung cancer sort of is what killed her in the end. And she died and it was a bit, it was a bit slow. And it was a bit grim. And I always thought, cause I've always come from strength training. You always think of strength as like deadlifts and squats and everything else. And how my mom dealt with cancer was real strength that was just like holy fuck like i went to, i went with her to the doctors and the doctor told her like you know miss mctaggart you 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 are not a well woman you have literally you know weeks maybe months here and just the way she dealt with it as if right okay so what are what are my options and what do i need to do and and it was just and i was sitting there just going fuck like she's just been told she had she she is gonna die here and how she just dealt with that was just so impressive and uh for me, it was always like that's you need to be just that strong person, even if it's just temporarily to get through a situation and then worry about it. But um, so yeah, when when Alex was born, she was she was born premature. Not that it was early, early. It was a few weeks there, um, and she was born with. Uh, they have to put them on the wee sunbeds, and Jen had to stay in hospital for quite a bit because they're basically the way they they go a wee bit jaundiced, you know. Um, but it was funny, but I think. At that time, we'd been so used to a couple of different things, whether it be in death, the family, or work things, or whatever. You just, you just get on with it, you know. I think you just, um, you just see it as another chapter, and right, okay, let's get through this part, you know. Um, and you always thought of yourself as, you know, what other people have hard problems in the grand scheme. My life's pretty good, you know. I can get through this part, and then we'll just get to the next stage. It's just a, and a, a, you know, you just keep battling on. I think. Um, I mean, did you, at the time, did you go to, like, try any therapy or did you speak to anybody or did you find, like, the going to the gym and having, like, an outlet for that kind of, not mental anguish, but, you know, like, letting the stress out kind of helped? Because, yeah. I mean, I've done CBT, but I found just talking to people was actually yeah. some of the best things to do. It's funny because people chat to me now and, like, um, they always think, oh, you're you're confident and you do these things. I class myself as like an extreme introvert, extrovert, <laughs> you know, so I'm a, a sort of swing between both. But it was funny, like when I was working in gyms when I was like 19, 20, 21, and you had those sort of young girlfriends and you're going through all that, I actually suffered a lot with um, panic attacks and went through a real bad stage where I couldn't have went to the shop. You know, you had to... Um, think about it for five six hours if you were going to go to the shop and get you know a, a bit of bread or something you know you so i end up at one stage on beta blockers for anxiety and panic attacks and running out of restaurants i remember ordering a meal and a meal came and running out of a restaurant thrown up in the street just with anxiety and i end up going for like um hypnosis was like 70 pound an hour a couple of times a week sort of stuff just to deal with it it was hard because i was in fitness and then you were having to go and do these courses and it was all high five group hugs sort of stuff. So for mm -hmm. a lot of my early late teens, early twenties, I struggled a lot with anxiety and stuff. And then as I get older, um, 
yeah, the, the weight room for me, it's like that Henry Rollins quote. There's a great quote on it where like a 200 pound bar is always a 200 pound bar. So my release was always just go and lift some weights and, and you put your head somewhere else, you know? And I, I think that's a big thing for men now, a big problem for men now. And I talk to a lot of my online guys about this is they don't have a, a release. And for me, I have weights and I have jujitsu and I have family and, and all the rest of it, but you need something that just lets the air out, you know? Um, and a guy explained to me years ago, he said, you know, for a lot of men, they're sitting, the rev counter sitting at like nine out of 10. And the minute they get a wee bit of stress or whatever, they're hitting 10. And, um, for me, I see myself now as like a one or a two. I used to be at that nine or 10 where any little thing, you got an email or, oh, fuck, you know, and I put you over the edge. Whereas now it was funny when I got asked to go on TV, you know, for the, you would have seen it to, uh, a TV show for me and says, Neil, do you want to come on live TV on Wednesday night? and give birth and we're going to tie up the birthing machine on uh, this popular program here, you know? And I was like, yeah, no sweat, stick me down for it. <laughs> so the fact that like, it was just, yeah, no, well, are going to bring me, going to bring him a big mate and we'll have a bit of crack um, to go from that to where I was. And I think, I think things like the anxiety where it's just like a muscle. You just, for me, I sort of, not that I did it, I did it right for me where I put myself in situations like, say a restaurant because a restaurant going for a meal where you had ordered a meal and you had to wait for it and you knew you couldn't get up and leave that used to give me real anxiety and it was even like going to hairdressers or whatever we had to sit and your appointment was next or whatever uh, so when i was going through my bad panic attacks i would have put myself somewhere that actually caused a slight panic attack and i just sat through it and every time i sat through it i give myself a wee pat in the back so i would have went to like a coffee shop and had a coffee but no food and then a week or two later, I would have went to a coffee shop and had a panini and, and I might have had half of it and then I walked out. And, and my friends, I lived with a couple of mates years ago and they were very good at, you know, I was open and honest with them and said, listen, I'm struggling with anxiety here. It's buckling me. Um, partly because, you know, again, with fitness, you had to be this high five group hug guy that was always, you know, um, when I was a personal trainer, I loved working one-to-one -one with guys, but the clubs were always like, can you not do circuits? Can you not take a spin class or whatever? And I was like, even the thought of that if i have to take an induction with three people i'm nearly throwing up at the back it was went through a hard time of it but then you i think as you get older you start to realize that stuff matters less and less and it just doesn't bother you as much and the big thing for that me actually for me and you'll know this because you do a bit is the jiu-jitsu and the jiu-jitsu guys and it's it, it's always hard to talk you know for people who don't do jiu-jitsu and are listening to this it's always hard to understand it it's like trying to explain a rave <laughs> you know unless you've actually been in the middle of it, yeah. you really know what it is you know it, my coach always says it has to be felt not tilt but for me the, the likes of the jiu-jitsu um it's like a primal re release into it yeah, you actually feel part of the world after a class like totally and then for me it was like um i have had full-blown panic attacks in competition med, med spar where i have just thought i can i'm gonna collapse here i'm gonna not but i've still went back and competed again and i've went back and i've done well and um because it, this is the thing of you put yourself in situations like that where you know some guy twice your size is trying to choke you out and if you can survive that and get out of it then you give yourself a pat on the back and go actually that's i did okay there and then the next time you get better and then you learn to relax and you learn to breathe and again for a lot of guys i think they just need that outlet whether it's say strength training or mountain biking or jiu-jitsu or whatever i think we i think we're cavemen and we need to use adrenaline in a positive way that isn't stress and emails and zoom and skype and all this sort of stuff you know it's very it's very strange because like i had a very similar when I, mean, I could remember 
I would come home from work some days where I would be a quite a kind of, you know, student facing job because I was in a university at the time and I would be like, get everything I needed on the way home so I wouldn't need to go back out at night. Mm. I can remember thinking the times my mom would say to me, just go get a pint in a pub and sit there with a paper so nobody bothers you. Because yeah. I couldn't be in that, like, I felt so awkward being in a pub with people in that social setting. If it was work-related, I could do it. Yeah. If it was, like, part of the job, yeah. But I know what you mean, that horrible feeling, that sort of stress and that sort of anxiety of, like, oh, God, they're looking at me. They're judging me there. And, yeah. you know, yeah, you, f- you found the right way rather than just doing the tablets all the time. I mean, well, I had to try yeah. antidepressants for a while. You know, I mean, did you ever think going down that road? No, I actually, I remember going to do it because I did a lot of fitnessy type courses when I was young. And I remember going to a course and I knew it was one of those ones you had to stand up. You know, all these icebreaker things you had to say. Oh, I oh God. And you were doing it with, back then, half the people there were like typo instructors and circuits instructors. And I just wanted to, tr- I just wanted to help people understand strength on a one-to-one basis. That that was just my bag. But the courses were always, it was a personality test all the time and it just wasn't wasn't me. And I remember the, the doctor had me on beta blockers and uh, I forgot them or forgot to take them. And then I was panicking that I forgot to take my tablets. And I thought, I don't want to be panicking over panic. You know, uh, there's bound to be a better way to do this. So I did some of the, say, the, the hypnosis sort of stuff. And I don't, sort of like you said at the start, I don't know if it was overly brilliant other than you just got to chat with someone. Um, and that was just, just nice to sort of, let it out. The other side of it is when you realize that other people have had the same thing. So when I started personal training, you know, a lot of people would have said, oh, I'm, I'm on medication from a depression or my anxiety. I was like, hold on, everyone seems to have a hard time of it. It was near like Instagram before Instagram. Everyone looked great on the outside, but there was that underlying sort of yeah. problem. Crumbling. Uh, and it, it's like painting crumbling brickwork. Totally. It looks okay for a wee bit. Uh. Yeah, totally, totally. So when you, I mean, going from that to be, I mean, that change, that transformation alone is amazing. So, you know, some people just hit the drink and drags and, or don't go out again, or, you know, they, they kick off and go into violence. You know, they start bullying people to try avoid any sort of connections. And there's, you know, people can go all down these dark paths, but then you were put in one of the most stressful situations where you know you went through the um, the very unfortunate deaths of your parents, you then had the marriage, then you had the the birth of your kid, then you had you know the business around. Well, I think it was two thousand you started. How did you deal with that then? Did you use the teachings from the sort of panic attack situations to kind of know right? I need to keep a routine of being healthy. I need to be set everything up for the birth of the child, but I also need to make sure that I'm doing my strength stuff. I'm doing the jujitsu. I'm you know, how do you make sure, like for new dads listening, how did you make sure that you had your life set up to avoid slipping back and yeah. needing, you know, struggling at that point? Because totally. you've, you've done an awesome, you know, you're running a business with two kids. That's mental. Yeah. Um, I think a big part, my older brother struggled by, we all, like my dad and my older brother especially, struggled badly with like the panic attacks. And I remember my older brother stopped drinking and smoking. I've never smoked or anything. Uh, but he stopped drinking and smoking on like the same day and went for like seven years and he would have trained. Yeah. He would have trained like twice a day and he was a total machine. And then he went away on holiday and uh, had a sip of beer or something. And by the Monday he got back, I think he was on 60 fags a day and a bottle of vodka for breakfast. (laughs) Um, And just, just the extremes for us, my dad had permanently told us 
oh, you're just like me, you know, you're um, addictive personality. And I don't know how true an addictive personality is because uh, someone else said to me, it's a, it's just, you know, you just get told that and then you start to believe it yourself. So for me, I always thought, yeah, I do have an addictive personality, but I always sort of aimed it towards health and fitness, you know? So for me, um, it was the nutrition stuff and just studying and, and training. Um, and I used to own a gym actually a couple of mates years ago and we were doing a lot of hours and I remember doing a lot of hours and thinking I can't, you know, I have to improve my nutrition here. Cause you remember living on coffee and sort of a bit of sugar here and there just off the cuff to keep you going. Um, and like for me now, I am busy now and I've got a lot going on, but my nutrition and training are so good. I just feel like I can deal with anything. Like I'm maybe up, uh, I was up half five yesterday morning doing sort of online stuff for my online clients because I can get a couple of hours in before the kids. And then last night at maybe half 10, I was doing a YouTube video, um, just on training <laughs> sort of stuff. So, but I find it's just, you just get into the way of it, you know, um, so how did you, you know, like um, a lot of people read all these parenting books and these Oprah book clubs and all this kind of stuff in part. How did you establish that kind of routine? You know, did you kind of just let things naturally fall their own way? I mean, because kids need that set structure and the routine and they need to know when they're getting their snack and they need to have their playtime and all this kind of stuff. So how do you fit that around like your clients and your day-to-day stuff and just making sure that you get your own time to go to the gym and stuff because you know you do jujitsu strength stuff but then you also teach clients and then you've got to have your sort of date nights and all this kind of stuff how did you figure all of that out because that makes me just my head hurt just thinking about it but you're living this well my 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 wife's gonna laugh when she listens to this what what date nights what what date nights are he talking about (laughs) (laughs) um yeah it's funny like um, so like I say, I always, when I was in my teens, it was all about training. And when I was in my twenties, it was, you know, I went, I became a personal trainer in like 2003 and I changed from a fitness instructor and it was always about getting in good shape and working for the magazines. And, you know, I wrote the ebooky type stuff. Um, and then when I hit my thirties, it was doing a lot of calisthenics and training and just still learning everything about training i had a i said gym with a couple of mates i ran a nutrition course at one stage um i tutored a wee bit and sort of dubai and abu dhabi and when i hit my 40s i said you know what when i hit my 40s it's all about work-life balance so i was 40 in april and everything was about getting my work-life balance set up to live the dream so i do live the dream and i'm i'm told people say to me now like what are you gonna do when you grow up i'm like i'm 40 <laughs> you know so my average day is sort of, I wake up in the morning, maybe do some online work for my online guys. Um, do we bit on the iPad and do it on the computer, have maybe a bit of food. And then I have a couple of clients come and train with me in the morning. So I actually combine, I just says, you know what, these guys will, uh, they're going to train me a couple of days a week. I'll have a retainer set up for them. Uh, one of them actually is a British hairdresser. He won it three years. Um, he's climbed Everest and, He's a gay guy in his sixties. One of my top top friends, a, a true gent, and uh, he trains me. And then my other training partner is a South African world champion kickboxer who also does jujitsu. He uh, won the Europeans a couple of times, and he owns a, a bit of a mix. <laughs> so the, the yeah, these it's funny because one of them's like I say, the sixty year old five foot six her salon owner, uh, and the other one's a six foot three South African kickboxing weapon you know um that's my two training partners so i train with them in the morning and i do a bit of daddy daughter time jen maybe trains um 
and then I'll take a couple of clients. So I still do a wee bit of one-to-one, um, but I have a gym at my house. So I have a couple of garages and I converted the big garage. So I do a couple of clients and then I go to jujitsu. So when I was jujitsu and regular, I was doing maybe 10, 12 hours a week. Um, I get back from jujitsu and maybe take one or two other clients and then do a bit of online stuff. So I now work. I, I like, I will not take on any more new clients. That's me done pretty much with personal training because I've got my regulars. I got my online business is good. And if, uh, I would never put more business in front of family time. So I, I you know, to me, it's like, someone wants in with me for an hour, but that's not, it couldn't pay me because that's where I get daddy daughter time. We go up the reservoir or me and Jen will go for a walk uh, with the kids around the block or whatever. So, and yeah, for, you know, there, there was financial things had to happen there. There was a year or two where I did take a bit of a hit where I, I bend like some my small groups that I used to train or I, I just took out hours that I didn't, I didn't want to work. And I, I made, I knew jujitsu was such a good thing for keeping my head space. And rather than going out on a Saturday night and getting drunk, I would rather go and spar with my mates on a Tuesday afternoon. So it, uh, it just became a healthier pursuit, you know. And Jen totally sees that she sees that when I'm strength training and when I'm jujitsu, um, everything else falls into place. You know, you just you're a happier person, you're easier to live with. Um, so yeah, I have I have hit the sweet spot. Do you think it's sort of easier to have it now because? Because the kids have a set routine, you know, they get up at a certain time, they have to have their bed, they have to have their bath, they have to have their playtime, their snacks, etc. Do you think it's easier to to live that kind of life because you know that you have to fit around your other stuff around them? You know, they well, become the focus. So it's yeah. not like you've got 24 hours, you've got maybe yeah. six hours or whatever. The big thing with, with kids, I think, um, is not letting them you're still the parents and i train the, the great thing like i have trained so many clients over the years with so many different backgrounds and one of my girls was um so worked a lot with hard kids you know kids who've been expelled when they were young and everything else and she always said the biggest problem for a lot of parents is they become their kid's best friend or they try and just let the kid rule the routine and we didn't you know we were very of you know and our kids are great because they sleep through the night and they're at a good age but they do go by our routine um, the other thing is myself and Jen, like she was a chartered accountant and I remember Jen being stressed out and coming home in tears and just under pressure. And then she just, she started getting in good shape, like really good shape. Um, and then she, so we now share the studio. So while one of us is in the studio, maybe personal training, the other one's got the kids. So our kids are just, so it's, you know, we just sort of do shifts like that. Um, so we just put happiness. I said to Jen, you know, just, you are in great shape girls want to train with you uh, she does jen does chin-ups like 35 kg hanging off her and um, it's probably three stone lighter now than when we met but uh, so she's a full client base and we just we just alternate our clients and i remember that um, transformation video she put up that was just like well, so i wish yeah, i couldn't yeah. even start that you know <laughs> it's funny because jen like Jen, I say, was an overweight accountant, skipped sport in school, played the violin and all this sort of stuff, whereas I was more sporty. So when I met Jen, someone actually said to me, because she was carrying a wee bit of weight, and we were out on a night out, and someone said to me, drunk, it was a girl I knew years ago, she said, oh, I thought you would have been with some skinny gym chick. And I always thought, well, what? that's a bit of a really shallow sort of dicky comment, you know? Thought nothing of it then, sort of forgot about it. But I remember being in Jen's mum's and she wanted to try on a dress because she ne- and she couldn't get into it. She started crying. 
And um, I says, right, let's let's do this properly. You know, we haven't been going out that long. She was going to the gym and we'd doing a couple of sessions the odd time with one of the personal entertainers in the gym. And um, I says, right, let's get on this and let's improve your food. So Jen then did a bit of a transformation. Now that transformation was just slow and steady and just small tweaks that I would do with my guys where you never, you never feel like you're on any sort of nutrition plan or diet or training plan. And then we, Jen did a photo shoot and she did the photo shoot after our first, or after Alex was born, and everyone just went, fuck me, look at Jen, she's amazing. You know, Jen was ripped, she was in great shape. And the amount of messages and texts I got of like, like a girl messaged me and said, um, Neil, what, what does Jen eat? And I says, well, just, just normal food. She doesn't do a diet or anything. You know, she's just tweaked a few things over, you know, a time process. Says, uh, she said, what, what sort of stuff would she have for lunch? And I says, oh, today there, she was eating beef sausages. And the girl was like, where does she get her beef sausages? <laughs> and I was like, that is not why Jen is in shape. You know, Jen is, and this is something I would be known for, is consistency. It's like when it's jujitsu or it's weights or it's business or whatever. Uh, you know, we would be the king and queen of consistency. Whatever we decide to do, you just sort of chip away at it. And then all of a sudden you, you reap the rewards of it, you know. Um, and that is so why do you think that is like why do you think people look for that external source that kind of i have to buy something in it i have to find this like fountain of like fitness you know rather than looking going just stop eating lard for breakfast you know like <laughs> why why do you think it is that we like guys go wrong in the gym you know program hopping and they see every latest craze and go oh, i've got to do that i've got to do that you know i've got to drink my own piss i've got to like yeah. climb mountains in the morning that why can we not just do like you because you your programs are amazing about the simplicity and the little fixes and the livableness of it totally don't even know if that's even a slight word but when i when i started training um we you know that was 1995 i sort of started training you didn't really have google in the same way also you do now you didn't have apps or whatever so you would have got you know i seen us going to second-hand bookstores and maybe chipping in me and the older brother together to maybe buy a book that had a bit of a program and you stuck with it and that was just what you had to do because that's what the program said because and we didn't really have access you to anything else um so we learned to be consistent and if you want to be true to something you have to go with it the whole way you know um so yeah it's it's something i've always had in the back of my head if you want to do anything just be consistent so i was never like like uh, jiu-jitsu is a great example because there's guys who go like oh you know how you beat me at this or whatever, or guys who started before me, I could maybe beat them up. It's purely just because I turn up more often. You know, you just have to turn up more often. But I read a great, I read a great quote before, and it said, you know, if you tell people, say you're successful, and people ask you why are you successful, and you say, well, I did the little things, small and often, and they all added up. Where if you tell someone today, if you want to be successful, do the small things, little and often, they'll never believe it's big enough. <laughs> you know. But it's true, it is. It's just the small things, little and often, whether it's a, a, just a tweak in your food or just turning up for a workout or whatever it is. Because um, even when I don't want to train, I'll still train. It's, it's, it's like brushing my teeth, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things I do. Because um, that was an I mean, old quote I read where it said, like, if, if you only trained when you felt like it, you never would. <laughs> so, oh, God, I would. <laughs> just turn up and then get, you know, get something happening and then that something could become something else, you know. Um, and you just layer it up. 
I mean, you seem to have like everything perfect. You know, you've got the kids, you've got you know, the the you know, the wife that you adore, you've got your business, you've got the sweet spot of like clients and that. Now, most people would have been content in that. What was the inspiration then to create? Uh, you know, to create the social media platform because. <laughs> I love your reasoning for it, but I mean, could you just share, because some people do it because they want to become famous and influencers and all this kind of stuff. What was your inspiration for starting it? So the big thing, yeah, and the big thing for me, if you want to start something, start what you know that you'll be consistent with. So when I when I was going to start Amateur Dad, I thought, you know, I could start a blog, but that's more hassle because you have to log into WordPress you have to do this, that, and the other. Um, Facebook for me just seemed like an easy way of of doing something. And I thought, if I'm going to start something, uh, this is the way I look at everything now. And it was the same with jujitsu. Like I tried to do jujitsu years ago and my club closed and it was then it was too far away or whatever. So when I started back at the club I'm in now, you know, it was easy to attend often. And it's the same with you know starting up my uh, Facebook page. I knew I could do content easily and often and it's the same with my youtube so i started up a youtube channel there and thought if i'm going to start a youtube so i've been studying videography and photography and all this sort of stuff i thought if i'm going to start something i'm going to start it with the idea that i don't finish it so make it so easy that it's easy to do consistently you know and then with the, the other thing is with the, the likes of the dad blog there the feedback's always so good you get a lot of fun like i've had guys come up to me in the street because it's amateur dad now but it used to be team delf and people coming up and going oh you're you're team delf and just got <laughs> me in the street and stuff it's just crazy you know um that, i did know, uh i did find that was an interesting original name when i seen it i thought oh he, yeah, so he's gonna find the social media dark spots pretty soon <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah i get a lot of dick pics um or i did get a lot of dick pics and like fully spread bum pictures and everything like prostate on show you know uh, so the Delf, the team Delf was originally a joke. A guy said to me in jiu-jitsu, like he says, oh, there's there's team Delf in because I just had my eldest. And I'd done a Facebook post on my normal Facebook that seemed to go down quite well with people. And everyone was like, oh, that's dead funny. You should start a page. And I thought I might start a page. And that's sort of where it sort of led on to. But it was also daddy interprets little female. So that was the other sort of play on the, so I would have had conversations with Alex. Obviously made up because she was only like a couple of months old at the time. Um, but I knew that, the longevity of Team Delph, yeah, from a branding point of view, the amateur dad just seemed a wee bit more family friendly. And then when I was redesigning, so I taught myself web design and a few other sort of things there during COVID. So I rebuilt that website I have now. Oh, you did that yourself? I did that myself, yeah. That's bloody awesome, like. That's yeah, really yeah, well done. Yeah, I'm a torture perfectionist. When I've had websites in the past, I've always like, ah, I, I want to change that or I want to do that or I want to upgrade that. And you always had to go to a web guy to get it done. So I, I, I see myself as a bit of a human Swiss army knife. Um, so if I like if I like the idea of learning something, there's other things you would maybe pay to get coached on or whatever. And um, But I thought, you know what? I like the idea of learning how to do it myself uh, because then I can always go in and do it. So when I built my website, I thought, yeah, professional coach, amateur dad. And it all started to make sense because people were going to my personal training pay- website before. And then there was like the team Delph and it just said, sort of didn't make sense. You know, the two, whereas now it all sort of ties together and you're like, oh, he is a, he is a professional coach and, and takes his job very seriously. And that's what he's done for years, but actually he's also a human and a dad and, and there's that angle to it. So then actually last year I had a business mentor. So I'm, I am in this fitness game a long time. And, um, 
again, coming up to, I was 39 and I thought, sort of thought, I'm going to get a business mentor here just to see, because when you're in, when you're in your business, you, you know, you need to take a step out sometimes. And one of the things they said to me on this sort of mentorship was, um, who are your favorite clients? And I said, oh, we Kevin I train with, or Roy, a guy I train, I've got my James, got Will, Big Sheldon, and it was all men. And they said to me, why are you training groups of women? You know, why are you doing so many women? I thought, why am I training so many women? You know, so I, I started then training, a, you know, aiming my training, especially my online thing now, it was all for guys, it's all for men. So then with my brand, and it made sense to have my professional coaching page, my amateur dad page, and then you get dads who follow the amateur dad page go, Oh, I maybe get him for professional coaching. And that was the online. So it's a bit of a, the amateur dad thing is a great blog for me just to have a release, but it's also a great, um, advertisement for my coaching sort of stuff. Cause I can stick up the odd post and say, listen, here's one of my dads has done really well and he's lost weight or whatever. Um, so it seems like I, I don't come from branding and I don't come from marketing or anything, you know? Um, but I've, I love the study of it and I love just the evolution of it all. And, um, no, I mean, I, I love that outlook of it, like that kind of the connection between the two, you know, and it was that kind of dads will be following it and going, Oh, he's showing the importance of fitness. He's showing me the importance of setting routines and stuff. I know he does online coaching, but I only like it. And I think that's what's missing in a lot of guys. We don't even know how to begin to get fit. Uh, you know, and you're bringing the humor and showing that you're not infallible. You're not one of these like sitting on the clouds playing your harp kind of thing. Yeah, you're t- you're talking about like like going taking your kids out and like you know them using you for floaters, lava games, and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, so think, what it's been? Oh, sorry. Um, I was gonna say something. I can't remember what. Yeah, I think that's the big thing with with my coaching now is when I was a, when I was a coach in my early twenties especially it was like like food is fuel and you know you just have to train if you're not deadlifting 200 for reps then why what is even the point in being alive you know we're uh, so fitness back then sort of consumed my life and i say this a lot now now it is improves my life so the guys that i train now are guys that don't have time to go to the gym six days a week two hours a day or whatever or they haven't the time to try and study it the way i would maybe like to study stuff so when they you know, with coaching, they're able just to essentially plug into the matrix and, and tap into my sort of experience. But they also know that, you know, I won't be saying them just eat chicken and rice six times a day. I'll be saying, here's how you eat with your kids and, you know, and your family life, you know. So I think people like that side of it. The, the, thing, the big thing with my coaching, I have an idea of my perfect client. And so I try to design the website. And when you see the video and stuff on the website, of the guy I want to train and the guys now that I train, I do the online consultations and I get them to fill out application forms and stuff. So it, again, it is the right guy. Uh, if it's not the right guy or someone I think uh, doesn't suit, I'm going to try and send them the right way. But I try and get guys who sort of go, um, who sort of fit a certain criteria. And to me, I train now, anyone I train, either real, my real life dudes, I still have a couple of girls, but it's mostly guys. Um, are guys who totally inspire me. And, you know, I come away from their sessions going, oh, I'm pumped here. And like one of my online guys last year, he's getting ready to run a hundred miles here. And he's, I think he's allocated 30 hours for it. Um, and he's doing it to raise money for charity. So after I have a chat with him on Zoom, I'm like, I'm pumped and I go and train. And, you know, so a big part of my career now, especially is like um, training the people that I want to train. And by doing that, I've ended up attracting 
more of the type of people I want to train. It was like a big lad I had to put a photo of uh, a guy there recently who's lost five stone. He's a director of a company. Oh, that was some transformation. So he, he's done brilliant and he, he is under a lot of pressure. Um, he has a big, big company here in the UK. Um, always struggled to get any sort of consistency. But um, yeah, he's a bit, he texted me earlier, actually he had 15 stone there today and he had been up in the just over 20-ish stone. Um, but because he's put his photo up on like his LinkedIn and stuff, then a couple of other guys who are in the same boat as him have messaged me and then I'll got them started. So where I used to train an army of people and tried to please everyone, now I've decided who are my favorite people I want to train and what is the best system for them to do? So um, it's nearly like I've developed a, an online steak restaurant. And if someone comes to me wanting the vegan option, I'll send them somewhere else because I'm like, no, this is my only deal in this steak. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I think that's a big part of businesses now. I suppose everyone tries to please everyone, whereas I'm just very aware of, you know, do what I enjoy and the rest sort of looks after itself. And your, what's that they say? Your tri- your vibe attracts, attracts your tribe, essentially. I love that, actually, because that's something I struggle with. Like, I, not mine. <laughs> I, I kind of just throw stuff out and just hope, like, my social media, I would get murdered by, like, a um, social media manager. I have no idea what I'm doing social media stuff. People keep asking me, oh, how are you not well, more well-known? It's like, I have no idea. I post <laughs> it out and hope it, I hope it gets somewhere, like, you know. But I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, you can't be a master of all things. You have to have... Like you have to have people you can rely on and people you can go for the support network and stuff. But do you think you're because through the social media, has this kind of strengthened your relationship with Jen? Has it made helped you make sense of what the kids do by people commenting on it and seeing that it is normal for what they're doing because people are relating their stories with their own kids? You know, do you think it's helped you become a better father in any way? Yeah, and I, this is the thing, like, um, and I hope when people read, like, my amateur dad blog, it's, and it sort of gives them a bit of a an insight that it's not perfect. And a lot of people have said to me, because in a lot of ways, they might look and say, oh, this guy's happily married and all the kids and everything else. And then you do put up stuff that's maybe they go, oh, I didn't realize, you know, you are actually sleep deprived and everything else. I remember walking into jujitsu, and I just had my eldest, and a friend of mine stopped me and said, oh, kid and everything, and, you know, we're just a bit of chatting. And he sort of leaned in and said, it's shit, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and I went, it is shit. Because, and this is a thing, and it's hard to say, to be honest, because when you're a new dad, and be other people relate to this sort of stuff, and, and you can't say it, but um, because you're not allowed to say it, but when you have your first kid, it is hard. You, are, you, you don't realize how selfish you were and how much you enjoyed your own time. And all of a sudden now, you're sleep deprived. You have to work to someone else's routine for a bit. Um, and it's hard and, and you're not allowed to say it's hard because there are other people who are, whether they've lost kids or they're trying for kids or whatever, you know, you should be constantly grateful and everything else. And, and it's always hard to say, listen, I'm not, I'm not playing down your situation or anything else. I'm just saying it is hard, you know, as a new parent, and I don't think anyone really, cause you, you know, anything you read online is just, oh, you've just had your first kid. This is amazing that your life will grow and everything else. But it's a hard, hard slog. And those sort of first four or five, six months are hard work. And don't get me wrong. I would never change it. And I absolutely love my kids. But it's just, I think when someone, like when he said to me, it's shit, isn't it? There was something just clicked with me of like, it, you know, it is hard. and But no one ever says that until you're a dad. And um, yeah, say so you have to be, 
you always have to be seen to be constantly grateful for it. And you are, but it's also a hard, it's a hard time, you know. There's that famous quote, I can't think who said it, it was something like, if you haven't told your kid to fuck off at least 34 times a day, you're you're lying or you're a witch. <laughs> it's just, yeah, totally. And you never think of your parents kind of going, oh, will you shut up? Or will you go play outside, just get out of my sight? Totally. When you're a teenager, you get told that all the time. But but you never. But that's the thing, you always think everybody's so magical. And I think that's what I think I love about your stuff, it's, you're showing guys that who are new dads, but also dads who are current dads, but dads who people who are maybe talking about it, the the joys, but also the scary side of kids. You know, the kind of the or the you know they're teaching you about kids before we ha- we go through it. I think that's what you need. A lot of guys is to see the. I think this is the thing. You know, if 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 people like me don't say that it's shit and it's hard, then some dad could be having his first kid today. And everywhere he's read and everyone has told him it's amazing you'll oh you'll love it blah blah and then he's a week or two in maybe working shifts sleep deprived and you know could be considering you know all sorts of like you know you hear guys commit suicide and all sorts of stuff because no one's just been honest with him and i think that's the problem of the world at the minute you know you can't be honest without being judged for being honest and mm-hmm. um so well, I, it's like women with postnatal depression you know they're always told like oh it's a miracle yeah, it's nearly like, yeah, how dare you have postnatal depression because you've got this beautiful, wonderful child. It's like, I'm not saying it's not a beautiful, wonderful child. I'm just saying these are hard struggles. And and if people just give everyone else less of a hard time, you know, we're all humans on a spinning ball going through the world, you know, through the through the atmosphere here. It's um, just be nice to each other. It's, yeah. And and that's the best thing about it. It's like you show the joys, but you also show the, the bad bits about like the kid putting cat litter in your washing machine and no. you know, all the and all the strange things they do and the questions they ask. I mean, I've got three my sister's got three wee ones, so I've got like three uh two nieces two nieces, two nephews and a niece, and the stuff they ask you and the queries and it's the why. But why? What's that? No, why? And you're kinda of like, Oh God almighty, I'm so glad when I can hand them back, but yeah. I like being, they it makes me want to be a better person because you yeah. want to avoid being the uncle or father that they go, oh, here he comes. You know, I don't want to speak to him, but, but you know, I mean, I want to be the guy they go, oh, brilliant, he's coming, right? Let's, he's going to take me here and he's going to do this or whatever, you know? Totally. They say kids are like farts. You don't mind your own. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's a weird question. I know it would be difficult, but do you ever wish you had boys? I actually get asked this a lot because I come from, you know, I played a bit of football, did a bit of jiu-jitsu, strength training. Uh, I couldn't see an answer for that. I was I was interested because I know you do a lot of stuff, but then you also seem to love being, you know, the father-daughter connection. Yeah. Like for me, I, I think actually there's a couple of things. I see Jen's dad was around today, actually just called in for some stuff and Jen and her dad would be really close. And that dad, you know, they say... Um, I know I've trained a couple of women over the years and they always thought that boys grow up and disappear was the girls always stay quite close. So this is why girls like to have daughters in a lot of ways. For me, it didn't matter. It, it maybe would have years ago because if you had boys, they did boy stuff and girls did girl stuff. But my girls, like we go into the forest and we climb trees and we arse about. And I play jujitsu with them and, you know, we go skateboarding and, you know, it, it's, are you passing guard on a three uh, four year old? Pretty much, they don't realize <laughs> they're, they're learning a bit of wax on, wax off. They don't quite know why they're doing it, but um, so the, the boys or girls doesn't for me, you know. Um, to me, they're just little great humans, and they, mm. 
it doesn't matter because again sort of like i was saying with the fishing thing with my dad earlier like we have a couple of reservoirs quite close but i could take the girls fishing or whatever i would never think that that's a boy thing or you know if, if they want to do it that's just what we do you know and I suppose that's the thing we do in society, isn't it? Is we kind of define things as a boy's job, a man's job, a girl's job, your role, your responsibility. Women should be the mother, where guys are the breadwinners. All these kind of BS tags that we put on people. See, I think yeah. I with that is like if people want to be that, like, it's like some, it's like the whole feminism thing, whatever it is. And I'm not educated enough on this to talk about it really, but you know, some women love being housewives or but they also love being CEOs of companies. Yeah, I think putting labels on people, if you want to be a, a house husband and look after a kid, that's brilliant. Whatever works for your family unit is what works, you know? My mom would have been very good that way. Like anything we want to do, she says, yeah, you know what? You just go on ahead and do it. And uh, sure, if it fails, you can just start again. And she, you know, there was never a pressure. It was I just, love that. You'd rather have a go at it than always dream. It's like the Jim Carrey one, you know, he talks about his dad being an accountant. I'm sure you've seen that. Have you seen the YouTube on Jim Carrey? I think so. It's an old classic, but he gets up and he talks about his dad went and took a safe job. And that job was an accountancy job. And then they laid him off. And um, he could have been a great comedian or whatever. But it's that idea of, you know what, just just do whatever role you want to do or whatever purpose you want to have. Then go and chase that. And if you're, this is the thing that was always said to me when I was young as well, was if you find what you enjoy doing, which for me was the fitness thing, and you do it often and you do it well, you'll get good at it. And then when you get really good at it, people will pay you money to learn how you got good at it. And then that becomes you're getting paid to do the thing you love. And if that's, you know, it doesn't matter what real title that is. It's it, you know, if my kids turn around and says, oh, dad, I want to be a YouTuber. Like I'd say, yeah, let's, how do we get you becoming a great YouTuber? You know, it's because you just have to decide and what, what is it you enjoy doing? If my kid wanted to, you know, become a professional fisherman, right? Okay, how do you become the best at it and make a living at it so you can enjoy doing it, <laughs> you know? Um, so I, that would be my mindset of always just, okay, well, how do we just just do it? <laughs> and see, that's the best kind of parent is somebody that kind of says there and goes, well, if you make a mistake, learn from it, start again. You know, you only fail when you don't get back up or you don't learn from it. You know, it's like jujitsu. Once you've been choked out, you kind of go, how, how do I stop that? Exactly. You know, it's like you, you go, well, how do I stop getting choked out in that situation? You're like, well, you, you made the mistake, let him pass your guard like four steps before that. You know, it's totally. like, all right. And you learn from it. But a lot of times parents do say to a kid, no, don't be silly. Don't go after your dream. Go for the, the easy life. You know, don't take the risk because you'll you know it's such a slim margin but do you think like that this kind of attitude of like showing them you know like you know spending time with them taking the videos of them putting on the facebook it's helped them come out their shell has it kind of let them kind of you know you build a better a deeper connection i know it's a bit stupid to say that because you're a parent obviously but yeah do you know what i mean do you think it's kind of helped your relationship more do you think they're gonna when they're 18 can i go I was a what? I was a what do you mean? I was a social media star. What do you think their what do you mean their reaction is going to be to this when they're a bit older? Do you think do you think they're going to play into it more? Are they enjoying being in front of the camera and kind of having yeah. that? Um, yeah, like um, a lot of the yeah, like if I take videos or anything, you know, even if I'm taking a video, they'll stand there and just say cheese throughout the whole process. I'm like, I'm not taking a photo. I'm taking a video. You know. Um, I've I always, there is a thing, you know, obviously you're, you're putting your kids online and you always have to be conscious of it. But I think um, with the posts, 
like it's I'm trying to make it more about the dad life was always where I was mm. trying to go with it so you can nearly like you know like the Ozzy Osbourne show back in the day and stuff where it was about more about him and Sharon than it was about nearly the kids and stuff you know um but a friend of mine actually his son died years ago um and son was like four and a half I think um would break your heart but they actually they went viral here in Ireland and part of my when I was starting the Facebook page was I always thought it's good to have a big audience who who love what you do and, and buy into your personality because if you ever needed help for whatever reason they might rally around and, and give you that help so I always thought you know if I build a big audience and then say down the line one of my kids wants to do something or needs sort of support for whatever they're doing you can say listen guys you know my eldest has started up this little blog or whatever it is can we go and support her or whatever so um yeah I've been, i'm not too sure what the future holds with it you know i think you just sort of roll with the punches and see i haven't, I haven't actually really thought about it. i'd love to maybe work with brands or something and do something bigger but at the minute it's, there's the great thing about the amateur dad is it's just a hobby thing so there's no pressure on me to produce content, i think that's you know i think that's the thing you're not playing a character you're not you know you're not going out and trying to be something you're not you're just showing the the joys the hardships the weirdness this the downright bizarre side of being a dad and you're opening it up to people who are thinking oh this is what my kids are like and they can have that connection and they can network with people on your forum and you know you can kind of show them that what's coming you know if you've got maybe got like a younger kid and You've, you're making it really like you're opening up a community of dads, new dads, people who are maybe just found out their wife's pregnant or whatever. And that wasn't there before. And you're, it, it's great to see that. And your all your comments are filled with people laughing and, oh, that's what my kid did. And, you know, and it's, yeah. I think you're giving people that outlet who are maybe at home with their baby for the first time going, oh my God, what do I do? This is so fragile. They're, they can see somebody that's gone through it and getting that experience I mean do you think it's helped strengthen your connection with Jen during this time the this I mean how do you keep this romance side of it uh, you know is there romance because <laughs> yeah. my, my, I remember my uh, sister saying she goes I was like oh did you get a jump because it was like her birthday uh, you know this morning taking the mick and she's like it's my birthday not his <laughs> and I was like all oh, right <laughs> but I see a lot of people kind of just seem to adopt the parent life. They kind of forget it's the relationship of them as well and their own time. Do you find there is time to go off and do stuff on your own? Um, it's funny, actually, someone messaged the page or offered me like a complimentary night away from me and Jen just because of, you know, because of a big audience that says, oh, sure, come on. So you, you, the odd time you'll get these sort of things. But um, it's hard not as, as parents to sort of say, you know what, we get through this next six months and then we'll be able to do such and such or we'll get just another six months. <laughs> you know, you're, you're constantly pushing it forward. The big thing for me and Jen, like I am, a, I am useless when it comes to romance. I'm just not good at it. Like, um, but I think the most important thing I would say, I would say this to my daughters as well is to marry the right person. And then it just works. You know, there's so many say dad forums or whatever I'm on. You, you, you read some of the stories and you just go, why are you in that relationship? That is not the person you need to be with. And, mm. you know, say when I met Jan, I just, so our life is, our life is easy because we, we, we started a family as the two right people to do it, as opposed to having a band-aid baby for a poor relationship or whatever, you know? 
That's a scary thing, isn't it? People think a baby will actually save the relationship or yeah. they want to have a baby and they'll just pick the first guy that's yeah. available kind of thing. And unfortunately, there's a lot of that here. I mean, nowadays with the future of our kids, it's they're going to be the next generation who are expected to learn how to code, how to use YouTube and all this kind of stuff. And at the moment, we can't even get some parents to be able to not smoke during pregnancy, not, yeah. you know, like to be there for their kid or to chat to them and explain why they shouldn't be going to McDonald's for breakfast or like, you know, that they can't ask questions if they struggle. And, you know, we've, we're still struggling in that aspect of it. So I think this is why your sites are really good because you're showing people you can be a parent, but you can go and get in shape. You can be happy. You can be in a happy marriage that you can be a good parent you know, you don't need to give up your career just because you want to do this. I mean, you built a business, a thriving business, and now you've you built a hobby, which I think it was something like a couple of hundred million have seen it already. You know, it's, I mean, that's phenomenal. When you, do you, when you still look at it as a hobby, or yeah, would like you want the, to do it? The amateur dad thing just just grows and grows. Um, I say that some of the posts would reach millions, but because it's on Facebook, Facebook just stunt everything unless. They want you to pay essentially for advertising, and I don't. You know, the odd time I might boost a post for a fiver just to see what it does. But um, yeah, so um, some of the posts have went viral and stuff, and it's crazy. But um, a lot of guys, sort of like we were saying earlier, people set up YouTube and Facebook and blogs with the pure idea of trying to make money. And I that for me was never the thing. It was always produce content produce content you, you enjoy doing it it's like my youtube at the minute i'm doing the actually did a, a youtube and course there during covid because it was just just firing courses different courses and i did a video editing course i did a videographer and a photography course um because of what i just find cameras and photography quite interesting so i set up a youtube where i just thought well, i get to play with cameras here and you know buy new lenses and stuff but i'll also give out some fitness tips and that youtube channel i'm gonna end up growing and becoming uh, monetized, you know, and it's the same with my dad blog, but it's not what I set out to do. And I think that's the big difference with what I've done is, you know, you set out with the idea of creating content, providing value to people, sort of like you're, you know, the same with your podcast. And it's just one of those things, you know, you're interviewing guys who interest you and then you create loads of content and then all of a sudden it's a big thing. Um, so for me, it's the same with my Facebook page and the likes of my YouTube. It's just, just create the stuff you want to enjoy. And if it makes money down the line, brilliant. Um, I shot myself in the foot actually a couple of times years ago because I did have a fitness blog, maybe 15, 15 odd years ago. And I gave it up because it was, I ended up busy with magazines. And I've had a few sort of things like a YouTube channel 15 years ago that I gave up and I wasn't consistent with it. But I always had the idea in my head, oh, maybe set something up that will make money. Um, whereas now I don't think that way. You know, it's just, do, do the enjoyable thing and if it makes money brilliant and if not you know it's still you've enjoyed it it's been a, a rewarding process that way well now it's a great time to talk about affiliate products there are millions of potential products to buy so how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money simple you go to www.nextlevel.com forward slash affiliates and explore the products and services i recommend that will transform improve and evolve your life i've set up some awesome deals with some amazing companies here i only recommend products i've tried or believe in and all reviews are 100 percent honest this is where i put the special offers listener exclusive deals and discount codes that i am sent 
there really is something for everyone here. It doesn't matter if you're buying for yourself, buying for a special person in your life, a special occasion, or whatever it is, you can find whatever you need here. Wide range of companies showcased on the page. Companies that will make you a better athlete, a better lover, a better man, better in all aspects of your life. You can access the page by going to www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates or by clicking on the affiliates deal in the blue ribbon at the top of the website homepage. Note that I do not receive any information on you or whatever it is you buy. The company sent me a small thank you. Um, it's a small commission for sending you to shop with them on my links. This does not inflate the price you pay and usually allows me to help showcase cheaper options that if you bought directly as affiliates are usually allowed into special deals, lower prices and so much more. All your information is kept safe and secure with the company that you purchase from and nothing is shared with me so have at it. Finally I would just like to say that if you do use any of my links I just want to say a massive thank you. As I tend to use the money to make this podcast bigger and better, and I really appreciate your trust in my recommendations and being a fan of the show and trusting me enough and enjoying it that much that you want to use my links to purchase the goods that I recommend. Now, let's get back to the interview. I hope you enjoy this one. Okay, you always learn from anything you do, but what something that a lot of people are struggling with just now is the whole COVID-19 sort of situation. Have you found anything changes with kids because i remember you put up that viral post where you know it was like social distancing and the kids had built a fort not to speak to each other you know it's yeah is there does things change with you know how have you adapted through this time i mean have you found anything really changed do the kids just kind of go oh i'm not like i can't go to the park oh can i draw a picture instead or yeah uh, has anything really you know what? What would you say to adults who are struggling through this period just now? You know, like new dads, mums, couples, whatever. How have you kind of adapted to this pandemic? We we were very whatever you want to call it. I say Jan was an accountant. You know, that was her. She was a chartered accountant. So a lot of times for years we are not flash. You know, I have an old old car. Um, I've got a twelve year old Range Rover job. You know, one of these. Um, and all we've done is work and save for a long time. And you know, we, we kept saying, so we'll save and then we'll go, when the kids are a bit older, we'll do this holiday and we'll save and we'll get the kitchen done and we'll keep saving. So when the lockdown happened for us, it was there like, you know what, we, we can take we can take time off here. We don't have to work. We don't have to uh, do something quick for our business. It was just like, you know what, we can just take a step back. So I, I love lockdown because it gave me a chance to say, build a new website, do a load of courses, plug into the matrix essentially and just learn a lot of stuff. And then it gave us a lot of time with the kids so we could go out a lot and whatever. And yeah, the only thing they noticed was, oh, they maybe didn't see their um, wee cousin or whatever, or the, yeah, the park, they couldn't go to the park. But we're lucky that our kids are four and two. So it's they maybe didn't notice it in the same way as some of the older kids. Um, but for us, it was just a bit of a holiday, to be honest. It was just nice downtime. And and again, you always have to take the positives out of it. A lot of people could have just said, you know what? I'm going to start sitting in the house, watching Netflix, drinking, smoking. I train a guy who owns a shop, actually. And he said tobacco sales are through the roof. And there's an off <laughs> next door to him that literally had a queue nonstop. Their takings were up 50% at least. And... Um, Worse for me, I use lockdown. I was like, you know what? I, I've got the chance to train here. I've got weeks off. Like, I've been self-employed 17 years. I don't get a lot of time off. You know, I don't take a lot of time off. So it was lovely to have actual time to do stuff. So I restructured my whole online thing. I got out with the kids loads. Say I learned a few new skills. And, um, yeah, I loved it. I think it would be a lot harder if your kids are a bit older and they want to do some stuff. But 
a big thing that my mum said to me when I was a kid, I remember saying to her once, uh, Mom, I'm bored. And she says, you're bored? That's a lack of imagination. And it always stuck with me. Like, if, if you're bored, it's your own fault. It's not an external thing you need. You need to start entertaining yourself. I don't know if I was just lazy parenting on her behalf, you know. Uh, no, I agree with that now. Like, now that I think about it, yeah. Back when I was bored, I would disagree with her. Like. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I, I, you know, we, and this is the thing as well. Like, bar, bar not being able to go to ju- to ju- to jitsu, we have the, the gym in the house, and we've such a good system that um, it didn't really change for us. And again, I know other clients that are like the big iron. You saw the the photo, the, the transformation of, like he was able to spend more time with his family, and we um, get out walking the dog every morning rather than sitting in an airport getting a flight to the U- U- sort of UK. You know, um, so for a lot of guys, I think. I think it's always comes back to mindset. You know, if something gets thrown at you, right? Where's the positiveness? How do I make, how do I spin it positive? What's the the benefit as opposed to the world owes you a favor? You know. And are you going to go back to jujitsu when it reopens, or I'm back. Yeah, we're back. So we're doing. Uh, we have like bubbles, so you have to train with the same couple of guys, and you have a WhatsApp group where you meet up. You know, so we go and train together. Uh, but if anyone in our bubble got sick, then that bubble's out of jits. So it's our, our jiu-jitsu club was, you know, the way they are anyway. They're always super hygienic and they clean all the time. And they're, they're always mm-hmm. on top of it that way. Um, but even after class, it's like, right, okay, that group, group one, two, and three, they're off the mats, leave. <laughs> you know, don't be socializing, don't be hanging about, wash your hands, you know, temperature checks, all the rest of it. So, um are you rolling with masks on? You know, get the air, the, what is it, the oxygen training in there? Yeah, that's a myth, funny enough. <laughs> I love that. It's like people are going to, did you see the doctor? He wore six masks on his face. He hooked himself up to uh, like an oxygen testing machine. Okay. And he was showing how like it doesn't matter how many masks I put on, it doesn't take away my mask and all this kind of stuff. And people are like, yeah, but we don't know if that's legitimate. We don't know how many masks he's wearing. And the people are like, how many more? Yeah, just wear a damn mask. It stops the spread. Just get on with it. And we could get back to a sort of normality. But, uh-huh. you know, I see, like, I love seeing all these guys wearing the, you know, the, the, the face masks to do altitude training and all that. And you go, really? You know? The study's not on that. That's, that's for an Instagram post, that sort of stuff. Uh, oh, I hate watching it. And they kind of go, oh, it looks so cool. And you're like, yeah, it looks cool. It does nine. You may as well stick the money up your arse for all it's doing. Like, you know? Exactly. Uh, are you going to get your kids involved in jiu-jitsu, do you think? 100%. One of the reasons I started jiu-jitsu was from being bullied as a kid, sort of quite badly in school, because I was a skinny kid in school. Um, and bullying scares the shit out of me. Um, my bully was murdered, one of my bullies. Uh, he was murdered when he was 18. He was beat to death in North Belfast. And uh, he, he'd had a wrong guy, and, and the, the guy's brother beat him to death. Um and another bully, I think, had a heart attack, and it was other ones maybe had drug overdoses and stuff. So I went, I say, I went to a rough school in North Belfast, and um, Grim there back, so you know, those the late eighties, nineties, and stuff. And uh, yeah, it was a rough enough area. But I always thought if I have kids, and I'd done, I'd done a wee bit of jujitsu, I say, when I was younger, but I could never get into the routine because of my job, because the classes were always like Monday night and stuff. So when I started jujitsu, I thought. Right, I'm going to go to this club. It's a really, really well-known, well-established club. They have lunchtime classes. And if I start, I'm not going to stop. And that was about uh, six, eight months before my eldest was born. 
and I thought I, I need my kids to know jujitsu or some sort of self-defense. And so that, that's what originally started out. You know, I wanted to be able to just have enough of a skill set that I could teach them, you know, how to get out of a headlock or how to get out of, you know, how to just defend yourself, but a distance control. And then I became addicted and just ended up just going full beans, you know. But, I think uh, the, have you seen the Gracie combatives? Like they came out with a bit about how for women, how to defend a, a guy using a seatbelt to choke them, you know, how to fight back in a car, how yeah. if a guy's on top of you, how to get out of it and how to, if they're pushing against the wall and you think, what are we teaching guys that <laughs> girls are getting into this situation, but then there's creep, yeah. I suppose there is creepy. And that's a great thing to do. And it also teaches, you know, they have that meeting friends and stuff like that. And, they get the confidence from, you know, the physical side of it and all that as well. But what other skills do you think they should be taught? You know, what what are you looking forward to teaching your kids? Is there things that you'd like to get them involved in? I, I think the big thing for me is um, I just want them to be great people. You know, you, you always think just be well. Like my kids will be great anyway. They're only young and that's like great manners and just... Like, I always think of myself as I want to be my own hero. You know, when you step out in the mats at a jiu-jitsu competition or you, you know, you hold a, a door for a granny at the shop, you always think, I'm, I, like, I'm my only hero here and I want to be a good person. No. And you nearly want to be a hero just so your kids see your actions and then they want to copy you. You do you know that way? Um, so That's terms, I remember seeing my mom doing all this kind of stuff when I was yeah, younger and you, you just imitate it, don't you? That's one of the things I actually say to my online guys and, and a lot of my clients is like your kids should never see you diet or exercise. They should see you train and enjoy exercise. So I say when our kids see me and Jen playing on the gymnastic rings, they'll come out and play in the gymnastic rings and, and we'll have a bit of fun with them. And I say I'll throw them about doing some jujitsu sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I think I think just be anything they want to learn i would just say whatever it is you want to learn have a go at it but if you want to have a go at it stick with it long enough you know because you see these guys and they um they bring their kids to like a gymnastics class and the kid says after half an hour i don't want to be here well okay and they take them out and that's the end of it whereas i sort of think you know what let let your kids try something but if they're going to try it let them stay in it for a bit until they get good at it uh, I can sort of see with my kids that the eldest will probably do more gymnastics and the youngest will be more of a jiu-jitsu because she's very rough and tumble and you can throw <laughs> her about and, you know, she's brilliant. Um, you can identify jiu-jitsu people. <laughs> We're usually the weird ones. Yeah, but I just think, yeah, I think I think a self-defense is massive and I think jiu-jitsu is brilliant because you're not getting punched in the face because that's quite sore. Um but it's amazing though you can have that kind of you know you can have somebody who's like prim and proper a ballet dancer and then you look at the next one and you're like they're head batting a wall and like punch you know they're doing boxing and all that kind of stuff and you're like how are they brother and sister and you go oh well <laughs> yeah no, uh, no so yeah. the martial arts would be a big one i think to have and i'm probably some sort of musical thing because again what what you learn from say you do a martial art or an instrument say you pick up like jen would have played violin and i i Tidded about a wee bit in the guitar, but you learn that um, whatever it is you want to get good at, you have to invest time and effort in. Um, and once you realize that, you start to plan it anything you want to do. You know, if you want to start a, a business or whatever, you know, it's, it's just enjoy it and put the time in, you know. 
Well, I've taken up far too much of your time already, but I mean, I'd love to have you back on. I mean, I, I can't believe it's an hour and a half because I was so much fun just sitting and speaking to you. I knew you were an awesome guy, but just finding out more about your story really kind of blew me away by, you know, how much I wanted to kind of connect with you. Because I think we go back in the history, I've sent you emails and random things about how to compete and all that in jiu-jitsu. Because yeah. um, that's something I'm struggling with is the competing in jiu-jitsu. You know, it's a big thing for me to... I like I still get kind of anxiety about a lot of stuff, and I've taught myself out of stuff, like you know, which I regret now. And I really want to get to that point of just give it a go. You know, and if you, you fail, you fail. Do that all? No, never. And I was set to compete this year, and then COVID. <laughs> so I don't know. Is that jujitsu have gone? Yeah, we'll we'll wait for him, the super heavyweight guy, because I'll be uh, super heavy, and I'll be in masters. I think. Yeah, because it's for. So I might I might have a chance if no one else shows up. Because <laughs> that's my big idea to say he he won the Masters European twice. He's a he's a four stripe blue belt now. He's just purple at some stage, but he's 140 kg and can do the splits, can handstand, weighted chin ups. If, you, if you're over if you're 101 kg, that's you're fighting him. Like <laughs> yeah. he can do the splits at 140. Well, he's a world champion kickboxer as well, and he does weighted. Oh, jeez. You know, so he and he is a is he athleticism you wouldn't believe for a guy at that size you go how is he doing that it's crazy you should yeah. do some videos for them like if they're up for it what i'm gonna do, yeah totally and uh, i was gonna do it myself on youtube i was gonna nearly interview some of my clients because the stories that these guys have like there, there's we kevin i train with say british hairdresser of the year a couple of times he's in his 60s at at 60 years of age and 60 something kg he had 180 or 90 deadlift so it was close to triple body weight deadlift, was doing ring muscle-ups to get a couple of reps. And he actually had a car accident at Christmas and um, broke his back, broke seven ribs, edema in the lungs, uh, broke a foot, you know, a few sort of major things. Jeez. And he phoned me actually and he says, Neil, you saved my life. I was like, right. And he says, you know, we are going to operate my back because there's a break, but because I was strong and everything else, I'm just going to have to wear this corset thing. And he puts a lot of it down to strength training basically saved his life you know so i have a couple of guys i had another guy you know he's a few stone off fell dislocated two shoulders um i've other guys have come through hip operations it was a guy i have in uh on tuesday who's lost his brother in car crashes and you know they, they come to me for as much the therapy as it is the lifting weights but the, the guys i have around me now i'm very lucky that you know you sort of build that network and tribe and just I don't work for a living, you know, I, I live the absolute dream. It's taken me a long time. And this is the thing, a lot of younger, like fitness guys would ever see me and go, oh, I'm going to do what that guy Neil does, or I want to get to that stage. It's like, this has taken me a long, long time. And I've made a lot of mistakes in the process, but I've, you know, I've, I've got here. It's only now, like, because I turned 40 in April and I literally woke up the other morning just thinking, I've got my shit together. <laughs> you know, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. It just took such a long time. I'll let you know if I ever find mine, I'm telling you. <laughs> but yeah, in terms of jiu-jitsu, the, the competing, like, I, I will not lie, I still ship myself going to competitions, um, especially like you're going down, you know, it's, it's your peers are watching you, you might get hurt. You know, I snapped my bicep off a couple of years ago doing gymnastics, and um, I remember competing. My second competition after was it was the British. I did the British after. Um, I snapped my bicep off in gymnastic rings and two days later I went to Jits and just sparred because I thought, well, I'm doing my surgery anyway, so I'll just... <laughs> just, <got it. laughs> just get a session. Uh, is the, that, 
yeah, I was still able to do it. But the jujitsu thing, like this is the this is the thing, like it's it's shit because the anxiety, you know, you see competitors or whatever, and you think, oh, how come that guy's not anxious? How come he's not pooping his pants? We are, you know, we all do. I've maybe done double digit comps, like probably like twelve or thirteen, and I've won a few, lost a few, you know. Um, but the anxiety is still a real thing, and it's funny. Some of my best, my like my last jujitsu comp was Purple Belt Masters Irish last year, and um, I got beat. No, I didn't get tapped, but the guy that beat me went on the armbar again, the final in about thirty seconds. He was he was pretty slick. Um, he couldn't catch me, but I remember thinking at the time of my composure, and that was what a, the difference. So I wasn't even thinking about the jujitsu. I just thought. I'm able to breathe here. I'm able to think. I'm able to do jujitsu. Whereas the early comps, you, you have the adrenaline dump and you do a load of stupid shit. And there was one time when I was a blue belt, I just did like did a comp. I remember my first. I, I won the Irish. I won the Dublin Open as a white belt, right? And I no one scored a point on me. I subbed again the final with a bow and arrow choke. I felt brilliant. I was Bruce Lee, you know. And I did my first blue belt comp, and the guy I went up against. I had a panic attack in that in that fight. Like, uh, just my balls dropped. I was a blue belt. I felt out of my depth. I didn't deserve to be there. And I was up against this guy, and he just looked like he had his shit together. You know, he had a load of patches on, and he had the Beats by Dre headphones. And I thought this guy's done a lot of comps. And I, I and I, you're battling with yourself. It's a constant mental mental game of I'm not good enough for this. He's gonna beat me. What if I look stupid? My coach is watching. All my mates are watching. Someone's videoing it. Oh, I'm gonna end up on Facebook. You know, and you have this this thing. And I had that. So I got beat in that fight. My first blue belt fight. I got tapped. Uh, maybe a triangle. And then my second. And then that guy actually, the guy that beat me, got his purple belt in the podium. So he's like four years ahead of me. <laughs> and then. Uh, the next competition, I fought a guy. I did a no-gi competition. I thought, right, well, I'll do a no-gi competition. And I fought a guy that owned the 10th planet. And I didn't train no-gi at the time. <laughs> I don't. I still don't. I was like, oh, sick. And uh, I got caught. I got caught in a counter. And in my next comp, I, I uh, competed against a guy. And I saw him tap a guy at a previous competition. I knew he was slick and you know shit hot. And I thought... I'm just going to keep getting emptied here. Blue belly, I just don't deserve it. And I beat him by an advantage, right, in the first round. And we had a round robin. So I fought him again. Two fights later, I fought that same guy and beat him 20-0 and just destroyed him. And I couldn't tap him. And 20-0 is not great in jiu-jitsu because you've moved too many positions. Ideally, you want to beat him 8-0 and sub him. But mm-hmm. um, once I won that comp, the next comp I went to, I triangle, I think I triangled the guy in the comp after that. I won the Irish Nationals in like 30 seconds with a triangle. I just felt I got a, a bit of momentum, you know. Um, but it's just win, lose, or draw. You do a comp and you come away from it and you learn something from it. And I got, I found my jiu jitsu progressed a lot quicker than anyone else because I threw myself in at that. And a sweep that I didn't get in a competition or a sweep that I did get, then you knew that sweep worked or didn't work. Because the guy that you were sparring against, because if you go in the club and you spar with someone um, and you get something on them, so say you're a blue belt, Ian, yeah? Mm-hmm. So say you go in and you you catch a purple belt and you think, oh, I caught that purple belt and I'm getting pretty good. But that purple belt's maybe rolling at 40% and you're going at 90%. Whereas if you can go to a comp, and this is the thing, you go to a comp and you get caught by someone, you go, I need to work on that bow and arrow defense or that arm bar defense. Or if you catch someone, so I've subbed a couple of guys in comp 
And it's the nicest feeling ever because you know that guy is at my level. He's going 100%. He's trying to take my face off and I've just subbed him. So my jiu-jitsu is effective in this and it's getting better. And you come away from it and you start to look at jiu-jitsu different. So the comps change. You say, I still get nervous. No, it's still, if I'm doing my next comp, I'll still get anxious because I haven't done one just with, you know, just the way it's where it's went. But um, you give yourself that wee bit of a pat in the back and then you start to take the positives out of it and um, you build on it, you know, and then you find your jiu-jitsu gets better as opposed to maybe just a hobbyist club goer who never tests it. The other side of jiu-jitsu is, I say I want it from a self-defense point of view. I've got a family. I'm conscious if someone breaks into the house, I need to be able to deal with that. And by doing competitions, men aren't used to this. You know, you're not used to the adrenaline dump. You just don't get it. So the fact that you can put yourself out there and get the chance to experience it and you don't get punched in the face. So it's like, it's a great way to test it. Because um, that's been that's what I struggle with. Like I'll find myself sometimes in a role, smashing through people, pressure passing, there'll be a beast. And then there'll be times I'm just not feeling it. And I'll find myself talking during some roles because it's like I'm trying to make a joke and throw in a bit of humor rather than just, you know, giving it my best. And I read, I read a really good quote the other day and it said, you need to learn how to fail. And it's like, um, I think that's what I was doing. I was stopping myself from getting tapped, but not try to teach myself to defend it. And then I've seen all these people who go into their first comp and the old bullied version of myself, the old like comparison of other people version of me, I was immediately going, oh, look at her. She's done her first competition and she's got gold. And they could mean she's a white belt, you know, and yeah. they're like, I should have competed at white belt. And all this old autopilot thing came in. I was like, I should have done this. Oh, I'm comparing myself. And it it keeps coming. And it's something I still struggle with now. I mean, I've been bullied in primary school and I still see the guys every so often. And, you know, they've completely forgotten about it. But to me, I think sometimes a lot of my habits still stem from it. Cool. And I'm almost 40 and I'm still doing it. And that's what I think I'm trying to learn. I definitely got better from jujitsu, but the podcast really helps. And speaking to people like you oh, who exp- who teach me about this. And, you know, you're, you're admitting what a lot of people don't like saying. I go in panicking like hell. You know, I did it there. And it makes me now go, yeah, why not just go give it a go? Why not have a bit of it? And I think that's the problem is we make we blow this shit way out of proportion. I think we're being judged. And the big thing time. is, see, as an adult, if you don't want to do something, you can very quickly turn around and go, no, I'm not doing that. And and you have a choice. Whereas one of the things I, I think has definitely helped my personal growth is going, I don't want to do that, but fuck it, I'm going to do it. It's like giving birth on TV on that labor. <laughs> it was always a random one. Or stepping on the mats at a competition and you're going, what the, What am I doing here? Why am I doing this? But then you, you know, it's the same with you. Like when I joined my jiu-jitsu club, our our coach, our professor, Graham, is uh, trained under, so Roger and Mauricio, Go- so Roger Gracie and Mauricio Gomez. So for those who don't know, Roger's 10-time world champion, best jiu-jitsu player ever. Mauricio was his dad. Mauricio was my coach's coach, and he used to come over to the UK and stay with Graham. So they Graham would have rolled out in the garage with Roger for years. You know, it's it's crazy. They have a really tight tight bond. So when I went to jiu-jitsu and I was, um, you know, a new white belt or whatever, strong and powerful, and I was rolling with Graham, you know, a man in his 40s, and I was then going having to throw up after three minutes. <laughs> and I was just, and they were all mocking me and going, oh, I thought you were a fitness guy. You were a personal trainer. I want me in there throwing up. And I went back out and I go, I threw up, I think I threw up six or seven times my first year 
in that jiu-jitsu club and I was famous for it, just having to run off and, and because I was using a lot of strength and a lot of tension, didn't want to give up. And it was funny, I rolled with Graham there uh, just before COVID and at the end of a roll, he, could, he can't catch me now, you know, I've sort of I've given him a wee bit of a hard time and he was lying on the back, on his back, busted and I bounced up and called out the next guy for a roll. I remember just thinking, fuck, if you'd have showed me the, myself now, years ago, yeah. I wouldn't have believed you, you know, and that's that's the way I sort of think about it. It's like, what what can come if you just get through this awkward phase? How much are you going to grow? It was even like having a business mentor last year. So there's other guys who've been in the game a long time, even a couple of years, and they'll think, oh, I, I'm, I'm doing this the way I'm doing it, therefore it works. And for me, it was like, I'm doing something so long that, I need someone else to have another look at it to see I'm doing the right thing and where can I improve it and everything else. And I'll go and pay a lot of money for that just just because it's personal growth. And I think that's the thing for um, why I'm, you know, I'd be quite good at a few things, but it's purely because I always, I always see like if you're not growing, then you're just in the same, the same spot. So why not learn some new skills? Like I say the minute COVID kicked off, I'm like, oh, I want to learn how to use a camera properly and how to build a website and how to, and, and you just start learning up all these these skills you know but that that comes from being uncomfortable and i say as the clients like the biggest motivation what you know we say what is motivation motivation to me is is inspiration or desperation so some things will inspire you to do it and other things it's desperation but um by putting yourself in shitty positions i think they can just inspire you to end up in a better place you know oh you yeah, you're <laughs> You're you're talking to the the grown up version of me now. I'm like, yeah, I want to do it because the wee kid of me is going, oh, but but but, and I'm like, no, you're yeah. doing it, you're doing it, you're doing it. And I think you're that's a good thing. You're you're being a dad to everybody who's maybe needs the you know the, to be taught how to be a better parent. You're you know you're showing people how to be dads, but you're also just you know you're showing the you know what I mean. So you're get you're kind of teaching people about more than just being a dad or like how to raise kids you're also teaching them about jujitsu about running the business about coaching and there's a lot of stuff insights in there that blows people away that they kind of go like they come away with more than just the humor of it yeah and i think that's what kind of pulls it what i mean is there anything that you like what's the proudest moment of being a father so far what's been the thing that's really stuck or is it like them the first drawing they've done or the first time they've come on the the rings or do you find you're just getting blown away every day you know is parent being a parent the kind of a joy that just keeps giving you know or has there been something that really sticks in your mind that they've done i think it's like that sort of thing i was saying earlier where at the start it it's okay it will be a bit shit you know for new parents or whatever but our kids now i say they're four and two and me and the wife, me and Jen, there sometimes in the kitchen will be buckled. The tears will be tripping us because the kids will just come out with something hilarious, and you just think, "Where does she get this from?" You know, it's just it's just funny, you know. Um, in terms of me, like it's not so much that you would see them do something, but it's it's manners. I, I'm always really impressed with kids with good manners. I think it's so important. I mean, we Kevin that um, would own the salon. He would mention that the other time because a lot of kids come in and you know with their mom and dad or whatever, and then. Um, they're maybe on an iPad or on a tablet or whatever, and they wouldn't even lift the head from it. Whereas, you know, if, if a kid's got good manners, you really notice and that to me when they, you know, when they say, oh, thank you. And, you know, um, and I'm like, oh, you're welcome. And, and they pick up sort of good manners. That's, I say, the, just having healthy little humans who are good people sort of blows me away. Not so much what they've maybe created or 
built or whatever with toys or it's, it's just seeing good humans and you just know that you know what the foundations are good here i think they'll grow up to be good teenagers and good adults and you know good parents themselves you know because it's quite amazing like you know my mom will say things like that she remembers her parents doing and you can see the sort of like you know the 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 foundations that are taught in a family and you can normally tell like if that kid's like that then the parents are gonna be like that then maybe the brother would be like that and you kind of judge sometimes people totally you know like you kind of and i know what you mean it's like when you go in and you see a little shit of a kid and you think mm, yeah it says it says more about the mother than it does about the kid because the kid's been allowed to think that's acceptable i mean did your time on the birthing machine did you go back and give like jen a box of chocolates and go well done like you know, how did that even come about because my mother was backling with laughter watching you on it yeah but you know you just happened to sort of like you know I remember watching it thinking, where does that come from? Where do you get that offer? <laughs> yeah. how, how did you get into that predicament, shall we call it? Yeah, so again, it was purely just a phone call. They wanted me and Jen down originally, but Jen was going to look after the kids. And Jen was like, you know what? You go. Jen sort of just, I, I come off these ridiculous things. And Jen just sort of goes, you know, touch and rolls the eyes, you know. But uh, yeah, it was just purely because the Facebook page, you know, the amateur dad had a bit of traffic and a bit of traction. And they thought, you know, who's good for this and uh, yeah i was able to just jump on board with it sort of last minute you know um the machine itself it was funny because i ended up sore for about four days after um because they, they linked this on to me and they you got a chance to gradually build it up and build it up and you, you know you got a wee bit of, oh okay there's a sore but then they were maybe off air for a bit or they were doing like another segment on the show and then they go okay right back to nail in the studio and then they crank it up but you weren't used to it, <laughs> you know, it was okay when you got to build up and build up, you know, um, and that tell you what, I was sore for a couple of days. So on a like scale of a hundred, I think I was on like 60 or 70 on the machine. It wasn't even cranked like, right up. Um, where about did they put the, the electrodes? Like it's all, please say it's not on your tent. No, it's, it's all abs, <laughs> uh, all, all in your stomach. And then Jamie Dornan's dad come in. He was like a GP, I think Jamie Dornan did the 50 shades of gray. Um, mm. he came in and it was sort of chatting to Stephen who was sort of um, hosting the show about it and says yeah the, you know you might even get to feel the physical parts of this but you're not getting the mental parts uh, like when Jen gave birth and that's what I said on the show you know this is just for Jen a bit of crack but Jen was just gassing her hard as nails just bopped the kids out Jesus. the second kid was um, our youngest was a water bath thing. We, we'd originally wanted that for our eldest, but because she was premature, they don't give you the water bath. You know, it's only if you're in a certain window and a certain date. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a funny experience, you know? And this is the other thing. Like it's, it's, I always think if I hadn't done that, if I had said, oh, millions of, you know, I don't know how many people watch, say thousands of people watch this, or you're going to be seen or whatever, you might look stupid or you might look whatever. But I think as long as you always think, you know what, just, if you take the piss out of yourself a wee bit, then it doesn't matter. And in the grand scheme, all those people who watch that will have forget, forgotten about it, but I'll have a memory of it that's good and funny to talk to you about now. You know, it's funny to talk to kids about. But it was like one of You're my that. clients years ago went on like the weakest link and he, he got a question, a really stupid question wrong. But it didn't matter. He just wanted his kids to see him on TV and have something to laugh about as opposed to what other people would have really thought, you know. Well, you, you're definitely the first person I've ever interviewed who is uh, given birth on live TV. Let's put it that way. But no, it's it's just every time I found something about you, it was kind of like, 
oh, I want to ask about jiu-jitsu. Oh, no, I want to ask about the oh, I want to ask about the social media. Oh, but the business. And I think that is too what you're saying is you do have a brilliant life set up. And I think because some people I do interview, I do get the impression they kind of go into character mode or they kind of they have their own scripts and stuff. And I just find your stuff, you're just like a genuine person. And I think that's what, you, you know, it's a real appeal of you, if you know what I mean. Yeah. That you're, you're not... With a lot of the guys that are doing the social media thing now or whatever, it's they are trying to be a character. Um, and I, I think the problem with that is you can just never keep it up. It would drain the life out of you, you know? And I think it's one of the things as well that it's very hard then when, say, someone's created something and it maybe does go viral and ends up really big and it becomes a business to them and then they have to stick to doing something that loses maybe the organic feel about it, you know? But the fact that my stuff's sort of, yeah, it's just, it's real. It's, it, it also makes it easy to do, you know, because there's no sort of, you don't have to script it or, you know, uh, yeah, it's just easy. And do you think there is such a thing as a sort of definition of a good dad? You know, if somebody, you see all these kind of BS things about, well, if you had to sum up what makes a good dad, do you think you can really kind of do that? Or is it just be there for the kids and be yourself and, let them discover what yeah you know i mean do you could you sum it up it's a tough one like um i don't know because i think a good dad is just just a good person and just a good human um, mm-hmm. it's a tough one because there'll be, be so many dads from so different backgrounds and have, have so many different stories to tell but um i think the big thing is having time for your kids which is one thing i'm very conscious of uh, and it's hard especially with me i have so much on you know you, there's nothing worse than if you look over the top of the iPad and say, you know, I'll, I'll get you in a minute. I'll get you in a minute. I think I'm very conscious of making time for the kids because if you make <coughs> them and just listen to them, um, there is that thing. If you don't listen to them for the small stuff, they'll never come to you with the big stuff. So um, mm. that that always sticks in my head to say if it is a bullying thing or some uh, something major that goes on, you know. Um, so yeah. Well, an older sibling, it's usually them that's bullying you. I've got an older brother, and he used to. Once I got strong, like got bigger and bigger and stronger, because he used to weightlift and that. He would do sneak attacks. Like, we used <laughs> Not, to, you know, you we know. used to play wrestle and all that, but yeah. it never goes away. You know, we're like he he knew I did jujitsu, so we were walking up a hill with the dogs, and he was like, "I'm going to see if I can take you down." And I was like. <laughs> All of a sudden, it became a, like a jiu-jitsu match halfway up a hill, and I was just like, "Come on, then!" So I was hip throwing him and all that, you know. It's it never goes away, no matter how old you are. But you remember that because we were back when we were kids, we were allowed to do all the physical stuff. You know, my mom would come out like we'd be out in the water and the beach holding us as we went out in the dinghy into the waves and stuff. And you remember, you become the adult that your parents set you up to be, and you know, I mean, it's. Yeah. Like my mom, it's, I think, my mom and dad were from Fermanagh originally. They said it's, a, it's the sort of more of a lake district type part of Northern Ireland, and lots of lakes and locks, and and they would have been very, um, you know, like when we went to Donegal on the coast, you know, the sort of uh, coast of Ireland there, jump in the sea and everything. And I, I said to my mom, "Oh, would we not get wetsuits?" And the look she gave me as if, "You fucking, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just get away." You know, that, it's like the Billy Cup. You know, do you want the fucking extra large tampon to go with it? You know, get them that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's just that, that bit of hardiness, you know. So there's sometimes, like, when our kids fall or whatever, you're just like, just man up and get back up there and get on it, you know. I think that's the thing. Yeah, like, but- you know, it's hard not to be a parent now and just totally bubble wrap your kids, you know. But 
it's finding that sweet spot. It's just not good for them to not explore and, and hurt themselves the odd time, obviously within reason. But um, yeah, I just, I just. Well, look at the chicken pox parties, you know. You used to get a friend that got chicken pox. You got to go play with them. Yeah. And at the time, at the time we never got told why. <laughs> you're like, yeah. you just get it. And then that way you didn't get it more serious when you're an adult. And it's nowadays you go, that's sadistic. It worked, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. What would you say to people like listening? You know, like if you had to get them to sum up this as like uh I don't know, sort of go home message, I suppose it's calling it. But what would you say to them? Is there like, uh, like if, if they had to take three things from it, or what would you want your key points to be? Okay. Um, it's very hard, I know, after an hour. Because <laughs> the thing for me is um, to probably take a risk on the thing you enjoy would be a biggie, because the thing you enjoy could end up being your business or start, you know, you could end up living the dream from that thing. So, uh, I think it's so easy to have like, um, guys stuck in an office and they work nine to five and they hate it or whatever, but it's paying their mortgage and paying their bills. And I always think, you know what, you can always sell your house, downsize, start a business, take the risk. You know, um, I saw a guy murdered actually when I was young, he was shot in the face in Belfast and we were driving home and I was about 17 or 18 and he was dead. You know, he, he was he's alive one minute, he was dead the next, and it was a bit horrific, obviously. Um, and I'm very aware of you get one shot at life, you know, marry the right person, do the job you want to do. You get one shot at this. You know, people think that they just they just go through the motions with life and they don't take chances, they don't they don't go on TV giving birth or whatever. Um, so I think that would be my big thing and where it's like just learn to absolutely love every day. Like I wake up every day and just go, fuck me, this is amazing, you know? And people say to me, says, well, you've seen some actually pretty bad shit that you've been, you know, I had a hard enough time maybe when you were younger, what was bullying or whatever. I'm like, yeah, but I'm alive today. And there's a lot of guys haven't had the opportunity, you know, we're like in Belfast here, especially like every other week you're hearing of guys committing suicide or another death or you know, whatever. Um, and I think you just, you know, what are the positives you can take from your day and how can you how can you do something today that makes tomorrow just even that wee bit better so that over time it'll add up and the next thing you are just living the absolute dream, you know? Um, so that would be my ethos. Oh, so I love that. Because that's the thing. It's if you don't give it a go more than once, how do you know it's not for you? Because, you know, you're going to get the first time, you're going to go, you're going to get the nerves. The second time you're gonna go, oh yeah, I remember how to do this, and then by the third time, I think you can kind of guess by that point if it's for you. You know, if you're still like clinging on to the lamppost outside, then you know that it's maybe not for you. But <laughs> I mean, are you happy now? Do you think with the way things have gone, would you prefer to still be doing like the writing for Men's Health? And you know, when if you look back now, would you have changed anything? Or have you, do you love life the way it is now? Yeah. So when I did men's health, I was a personal trainer, and there was I, I beat a few thousand guys and got got into the cover model competition that men's health held every year. I was like one of the Irish guys that got over. He went over to London, and I never got the front cover. Um, but they offered me the job as their online fitness editor, and I say I wasn't a writer, but I was 
I was I got quite good at answering questions because I had a fitness blog of my own at the time and men's health were sort of aware that I'd been writing a wee bit of fitness. So for them, for it was easy because I had I was able to write a wee bit and I knew my fitness, whereas a lot of other guys maybe really knew their fitness but couldn't write or they could write really well and didn't know their fitness. So I sort of had that sort of bit of a sweet spot. Um, and I, I loved that when I did it. You know, it was great for my sort of CV and it was a great sort of time. Um, but I think I just I say I grew it. I remember writing articles on my phone for like 80,000 people and I was literally doing it on my phone at lunch break just you know, off the top of my head and stuff, because you were just you were just so consumed by fitness all the time. And um, so anything I've done, like I had a nutrition business with a friend. Um, I ended up selling him the sort of name and stuff, and he used it to open up the gym. But like that failed for us. I, I had uh, a bit of a breakdown during it, where we, if you joined one of the big gyms here in Ireland, you essentially could pay and go through a, a process I had built. Um, but it was all sort of. It was hard to do. We tried to build it while also working as personal trainers and it failed. And it had the chance to be a multi-million pound thing. But for me, it, it was going to kill me, you know, because of the stress of it. And uh, so I, I I took a hit and walked away from it. Um, so I have failed at loads of stuff. Um, and I just, I suppose I just keep coming back at it. Uh, I wrote for other magazines, and you know, you do bits and bobs. And then over time, you just... You, you learn, you pick all the best bits of the stuff you really enjoyed and you forget about the other stuff that maybe didn't quite work. And then all of a sudden you end up with a, with a, a go-to system, you know? So what's your opinion then on like these fad diets, like five, two and intermittent fasting. And I know that's not fad, but yeah. what would you say to people who then are listening and thinking, oh, this is brilliant. You know, I'm going to write to him and see about if I can get some online coaching with him. I'm going to definitely sign up and read up, you know, like the Amateur Dad stuff. But what changes could they make, say, this week alone in terms of their diet? You know, would you get them out walking every day for 10 minutes after eating? Or would you, like, how how can they start ramping up their fitness okay. and cleaning up their diet, making the small changes? You know, have you found anything that the, the hacks, the work, this, I mean, this, the transformation Jen made was amazing, but to see the small changes she made was brilliant. So, what kind of things would you get them doing? Well, in, ter- in terms of the diet sort of stuff, I don't I do not do the diets. Like when I was younger, I would have tried diets or would have played with diets. And, you know, um, the problem with, say, with the diet is if you're on a diet, you're potentially off a diet, and that's never a great thing. Um what I generally say to clients is that a lot of people are same for myself. I'm at base level. And if I want to do a photo shoot or a jujitsu competition or whatever, I'm not that far from the peak where if I want to ramp up my nutrition, you know, maybe go a wee bit more aggressive in my training, I get to the peak. But a lot of normal guys aren't at base level. They're at sea level. And to go from sea level to base level is not this, or sea level to base camp is not the same as going from base camp to Everest. You know what I mean? So the, the sea level, the base camp is essentially just improving your habits. Um, and if you're doing a diet, um, a lot of time that's not going to improve your habits. You're just you're just following a system that has the potential to fail. So I know a guy does intermittent fasting and it works brilliant for him. And as a coach, I go, that works for you. It suits your lifestyle. It's sustainable. You enjoy it. Therefore, that works for you. And this, this is what coaching essentially is. Coaching has taken all the information and experience and looking at the guy you have in front of you and saying, yeah, that'll work for you. So for example, you might have, I might have a guy there and say, you might say, oh, I do really well, low carbs. Okay. You do, you know, let's go with that, but a ketosis or low carbs and his wife 
might want to try it, but low carbs aren't great for females because it just it affects their cycles and everything. So um, a lot of the, the nutrition sort of stuff is think about, am I going to be able to do this in six months? So when people say, oh, I've went, I watched a show on Netflix and I went vegan or I've watched this and I'm going to take out all my carbs. I'm going to do the intermittent fast and whatever. And I'm always like, are you going to be able to do that in six months? Probably yeah. not. Yeah. And if you're not able to do that in six months, then it's too big a chunk. A, a chunk. You, you've tried to go from sea level to Everest without finding a base camp first. Um, <clears throat> I love that way of looking at I, it. I love that. And I, I think I, I'm nearly sure I made that up myself and I haven't stolen that from someone, which is rare. <laughs> um, I, I'm sure that was one of my own analogies. Um, but it actually makes sense to kind of, it makes you understand what you mean. You know, because some people kind of go, I don't know what you're on about, like, you know, like uh, 60% and 80%. But to actually say they go, right, you know, starting from, like, the bottom level, right, going at the top, and you have to set up your established, like, get your hooks in before you start climbing. And like, I did a course with Edo Portal, you know, Edo Portal? Oh, yeah, the, the movement guy. Yeah, so he's Conor McGregor's movement coach. I actually introduced Conor McGregor to Roger Gracie on a night out in Belfast, drunk. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's funny when you start talking about stuff. But yeah, I was like, "Oh, Connor, have you met? Have you met the goat?" <laughs> um, but yeah, Edo Port. How, how did you meet Connor McGregor on a night out? Yeah. We'll have to have that one in at some point. Yeah, it's alright. I'll come back to that. But Edo Portal, this was years ago. No one really knew him. A friend of mine tried to get him over to Belfast, and they couldn't get the numbers for a course because everyone was like, "Who's Edo Portal?" So <laughs> whereas now you couldn't get him, like there's just no chance. Um, but he, on one of the courses, he he was talking about terminology that you have to use, and it comes back to what I said at the start about communicating with clients. So you might say to you might say to a guy, "Listen, flex your wrist," and they flex it. And obviously, we can't see each other in this, but you flex your wrist, and it's like, "Okay, now tense your bicep." And you might be able to tense your bicep, and then, "Okay, make goosebumps appear on your shoulder." Uh, I, I don't know how to make that happen, you know. Um, and everyone's at different levels where what works for someone. So someone might know how to flex a wrist and they might know how to flex a bicep, but they might not know how to make goosebumps appear. Someone else might be able to because they're so advanced to how their body works. And the Edo portal was sort of explaining this. So when you're uh, the big problem for a lot of guys is that they'll come to me and say, Oh, Nelia, I'm a, I'm a total beginner, you know, white belt in the gym, but I'm trying this, uh, snatch routine to get my snatch up. I'm like, but you've never done a deadlift or a kettlebell swing or whatever, you know, everyone sort of looks for the most complicated thing um, as opposed to learning the basic terminology, um, which is what I think of in my coaching now. It was just having, trying to have everything really basic. And that was the Edo Portal course was like that, of like, you know, chase intensity and complexity. And um, everyone, I think, when they go on YouTube or whatever, is they, they always look for the more advanced option. And because it's advanced, again, they're at sea level. They're buying crampons. Like you don't need crampons. You're at sea level. You need just a good hiking boots. <laughs> Do you know what I mean to get base camp? Um, I know I'm going off the tangent there. The Conor McGregor one. We were out and uh, there was fights. One of our friends was fighting in Belfast at a thing, and our jujitsu club had like the VIP box, and we shared it with Conor McGregor's team. So all these guys wearing very flowery shirts and dodgy clothes thinking they were the goat you know um but roger gracie happened to be with us because we were out in a night out in belfast so um yeah roger's class like he's just such a down-in-the-earth dude like i was actually driving that night but roger bought me a pint so i had to I had to drink it because roger found my pint you know um 
And it's funny, you can Conor McGregor come walking over to me, and Conor's actually quite stacked in real life. It's funny, like he wasn't fighting at this stage, but like he's, he'd be my sort of height, but he brought out his shoulder and everything, you know. And uh, he was there with his whole entourage. And Roger is just a super. It's funny because Connor can walk around, you know, all the paparazzi around him was, you know, camera crews and all knocking about and all his team of sort of hanger owners. And Roger was just there. And you think, there's Roger Gracie. Like he's just, he has, you know, you don't know, he's a total weapon, like the best in the world at his game and just no arrogance and no ego and really actually quite shy. Quite, quite a shy dude, you know. Um, and yeah, just Connor, I was like, oh, have you met, have you met the GOAT? And uh, it was funny then because I, where I happened to be standing, and again, I'm just a, a low level purple belt tip from North Belfast, you know, I'm not in their level, but where I happened to be standing, then Roger's different guy or Conor McGregor's different guys kept coming up to me and going, oh, here, uh, can, can I meet Roger? And I was like, yeah, all right, then going ahead <laughs> as if I was, you know, <laughs> like, just like even, you know, I've met Roger a few times now and uh, I did a summer camp there actually last year out in Spain. But if I walked past him in the street now, I wouldn't know who I was, you know. But uh, yeah, it's just funny. Like, it's quite amazing though. Like when you realise that all these like superstars and heroes that we all, you know, we aspire, they're all just normal people. Totally. Uh, yeah, and I think that's something you forget. And like, I mean, I met uh, Diamond Dallas Page, who's somebody I looked up to, and I made a shit ton of money off his um one of his affiliate things and it's one of the first products i'd ever used that i truly loved and when i started doing a review of it i made like three or four grand in the first year and i thought oh my god this is amazing and best thing ever and i met him in real life and he was talking about his own kind of worries and stuff and all that and you could see that he had his own kind of like where he was getting his lunch from and he was like he had had a saying that him and the missus had had a falling out that morning and all that. You know, it was like in his his presentation thing, and you just think you're just a normal guy, aren't just you? You know, you're just. Kid, yeah. But somebody who's built up procedures and routines and habits to get them, like you know, like you're saying, to go from like the um the ground floor to go to the penthouse suite. Exactly. I don't want to steal. I don't want to steal your. You know, <laughs> I'd have to pay copyright. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, and it's like you realize that they've just figured out a way to consistently make those changes, make that small things to get the best thing, and then they've become themselves and just play maybe a bit more of a uh, what do you call it, like a bit more of a dramatized character of themselves, know. The, you know, themselves at a higher level. In when they've got the paparazzi and all that kind of stuff, but when you meet them in a the night out. They're they're just normal people, and I would love to have Connor on at some point because I think he his self belief and his jujitsu and his training and all that would be great. He then does some interesting things, shall we say? Yeah, because Jimmy yeah. actually you know Jimmy Dornan did the Fifty Shades of Grey. So when we owned the gym in Belfast, Jimmy trained in it, and uh, my younger brother took his photo. So he was doing an elbow lever. Uh, so he came down. He he trained with a friend of mine that they went to school together. And Jimmy Dornan was actually a really shy, down-to-earth guy. And you think, fuck me, you're, you are Christian Grey. You know, you, if I was you, I'd be walking about just, just saying, check like my... Like Cock of the North kind of thing, yeah. yeah. So he did an elbow lever on a bench in our gym. And my wee brother, my wee brother stand looking at him, holding the camera. And I, because he was down to do a photo shoot of Jimmy. And uh, I says, Ralph, uh, take the photo there. And Jimmy did this elbow lever and we took a photo. At the time, I was doing a bit of work for men's fitness. And I said to the editor, I said, listen... I have a photo on my phone that's going to be the most viral fitness image of next year. And it's Jamie Dornan doing an elbow lever. And uh, Jamie then tweeted on, 
he won the World Sexiest Man Award and he tweeted that, uh, oh yeah, thanks to the guys at Iron Fit, which is our gym. And he shared a photo of him doing the elbow lever. And it was funny, all the paparazzi and stuff arrived at our gym for Jamie. And, and my phone was a fill because I'd done a couple of newspaper things and magazine things. I had radio stations phoning me at seven in the morning, amount of people saying, Neil, is Jamie still there? And the photo was taken like three months, four months prior to this the thing, you know. But um, he was the same, just a real lovely guy and um, real down the earth. I only met him a couple of times, but then one of the papers ran the story that I was training him for uh, 50 shades and um, I got tortured then. And it wasn't, I felt really bad actually because it was my big mate was training him. Um, but just because of the way I was affiliated with the magazines and stuff, they just got, they just ran with anything. They just wanted to put anything out that Jimmy Dornan was connected to at that time. I, um, I would have just left up my CV. Oh, yeah, I trained yeah, him. I, I, I've, I've got a photo here of Rooms. Like. Like a guy contacted me and said, and I said, but I didn't train Jimmy. And they're saying, oh, but sure, just let on. you dead for the, this radio talk. And I says, but I, I, that's not me. I couldn't do that. You know, I couldn't sleep in my bed at night knowing that, you know, I am very true. I'm, I'm, I'm very, you know, there's an integrity there you just have to uphold you know mm-hmm. um, it's quite amazing how some people like when you see it now all these influencers and oh yeah i definitely use this you know teeth whitening device oh i definitely use these herbal teas and you're like i of course you do hen like you know take that like you know go take that somewhere else because how many of them like they're either all constipated with the nastiest teeth in the world or like you know it's like the guys that tell you, like, oh, but if you follow my guide, I can teach you to make forty thousand pounds in your first night on, like, yeah. buying stocks and shares. And you're like, if you were making that kind of money, why the <laughs> fuck would you be teaching me to do it? Uh, you know, why would you want other people like taking down the stock prices and that? Exactly. It's just, I think you have to have that level of integrity, don't you? I get offered bits and bobs the odd time and um, through my dad blog and everything else, and it's, it's legit. Like, it's if I don't use that product or I don't believe in it or you know then i'll not it's like i have a mate actually one of the guys i know was torturing me about one of these sort of supplements mlm schemes and he's like oh but neil you know you have such a big audience now i'm like i don't agree with what you're doing i don't agree with that product and you're tying yourself to a brand there that you just don't know if they're the right because if that brand it was like crossfit recently i used to do a bit of crossfit years ago and the ceo of crossfit made some statement that was to do with black oh, yeah. matter or something there was like what 2,000 affiliates left the next day. We pay like three, $4,000 a year to be part of CrossFit. Um, so it's just like, you know what, you, you just, if, if you're going to put a brand up or whatever, like I would, I would love to work with a brand down the line, but it would have to be like, if it was, if Red Bull approached me and said, they want to pay you a million pound a month. Yeah. It's hard to work, walk away from that. But on the other side, I'm not a big fan of energy drinks. So it's like, you know, you're always, you have to sort of stay true to yourself, you know? Yeah. Well, you see, like, look at these race car drivers, you know, they come out and I'm surprised they're not tattooing their chests and their foreheads. And, you know, they're like, they're just like a walking dildo. Like, you know, it's just like, like and they must sit there and go, oh, I've got to have this drink with the label faced this way. And, yeah. you know, you see these like Kardashians and all that. And they're just, mind you, when you had kids, which try to make her a billionaire by giving her money, you know, to become the first self made billionaire. And you think, what is going on with this world that these kids aren't thinking, well, how do I start making money to be like her? I'll give her money to do that. You know, it's like, what the hell? I read a great quote somewhere a couple of years ago. It says something like, uh, and you know what statistics are like, but it was like 40% of the jobs our kids will have 
haven't been invented yet. <laughs> and when you hear that, you just go, oh, how can you even, how can they go through the school process now the way it is and not be learning how to, you know, deal with, you know you're learning to, you're training someone for a job that doesn't even exist. Like, where do you even start with that, you know? Well, how scary is that, though? Like, when they say to you, what do you want to be? And you're like, something that's not even been invented yet. <laughs> you know, like, can you imagine you went to your guidance teacher? Like, I said I wanted to be a professional footballer because I had no idea. And yeah. I worked in education for, what am I, seven, eight years? And I just kind of fell into it. But it lets me pay the bills and then have enough money to do jiu-jitsu, but also to build my podcast on the side. Yeah, I could have gone offshore for two weeks at a time, you know, and have two weeks on, two weeks off. But then you're stuck out there, not able to create content for two weeks. And I'm not great at building, like, time off to do all this kind of stuff. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I need to have my free time. And it's there are ways of doing it. You know, you can be a dad working full time with the kids and be in shape. You just got to figure out the habits and routines that work for you. And I think that's where you come and play because you're showing it's possible. I mean, Jen's transformation was amazing, but she's showing that she can be a working mom with small changes. You don't need to be eating just celery and stuff like that. You know, you can have your, like, your sausages and your wine and that, you know? Yeah. It all comes down to knowledge and experience. And um, when guys come to us for coaching, it's because they haven't time to invest the way we did into the mistakes that I made. So they'll pay for it. Do you know what I mean? And and they essentially want the cheat codes. So that's that's to me is what coaching is, you know. Um I say with my photography, videography stuff, I love spending hours dicking about and making mistakes and whatever. But I, I get a lot of enjoyment out of that. For other guys who maybe own companies or whatever, they might say, you know what, I'd love to do that, but I only have two or three hours a week. Therefore, I'm going to hire a coach for those two or three hours a week to help me. So you you, you always have to think, is it efficient and is it effective? You know, um, again, like my web design, I've, I've created enough time in my life that if oh, I wanted to learn how to design my website, I can sit and do it. I could have paid someone to do it. But for me, it was getting the enjoyment out of actually learning, you know. Um, you must have only been doing wee bits because when I was doing mine, I was sweating at my screen far more than I was getting anywhere with it. Yeah. I, it's the moment when you put like an HTML code in, um, as HTML even, and you know you kind of you miss a full stop or you don't put something centered or you change the size and go, oh, what did I do there? How did I change that? You, you start panicking like, but no, your 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 new site's amazing. And so, what do you want the evolution of that to be? Have you got something in mind? Is it going to become more? of like more of the amateur dad stuff being incorporated into that so you can start working with brands and businesses and that yeah, or do you think you'll keep it i think i'll keep the amateur dad just as the amateur dad and almost separate but the my personal training sort of guys will know that that's just something i have as a bit of a funny sideline um i built a membership part of my website as well but that's for like my guys who are already online coaching so i've got like recipe books in there and training guides that i've wrote and everything else um the big thing for the website for me was just, I say, to put up nearly a brochure of the type of client I want to have and, and attract those type of guys and basically say there and then that I even tweaked some stuff yesterday that if you want to train with me, this is generally the guy I, t I train and this is my target audience and whatever um, and take it from there. So the online coaching for me, so I used to personal train a lot, um, 6 a.m., 10 and 8 p.m., all the rest of it. The online gives me the flexibility now with the, with the kids where if I have a couple of hours free here and there, I can do online work, I can do it 
sort of random times. But if I'm away, you're sort of anchored with being like a personal trainer or self-employed, your business or whatever, you can be anchored quite a bit. Whereas I'm creating a life now that in five years, if we, if we say, you know what, I'm going to go away to France for the summer holidays for six, eight weeks, I can do that and I can still work. I can still work on my business. I can still have my online guys going. My personal training guys are all with me years. They're essentially black belts at fitness. So they're self-sufficient and coming to me, you know, a couple of times is always just a, a Brucey bonus, but they're great in their own right, you know? Um, so that, that's where I see it. Whereas when I'm sort of 45, 50, um, I'll just be even happier than I am now, which to be fair is quite hard to, hard to change, you know, I, I would say I have a very positive outlook on the future. I mean, it's just, it sounds like you've got the dream life to be honest at the moment. I mean, is there anything you would change? Do you think number three is coming? Would no, you want yeah, yeah? Would you want your boy a uh, boy at the end of it? No, uh, I think two is brilliant. I don't want to <laughs> end up buying one of these buses where you get the drive about, and it's still like the idea of some sort of nice car. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. It's like you know, do a hand in the Ferrari for the camper van yeah. at the moment. Like, yeah. uh, I would definitely get the snip at some stage. And uh, I think as well because the kids are four and two, so we've nearly come through the baby process, and it's just you're just enjoying them now as these young sort of toddlers, you know. Um, so yeah, I think I think every year it'll just become more and more fun. And I think I think the big thing for us is to really make time for holidays and time out because it is easy just to get caught up in, you know, um, the business. Because I enjoy what I do so much, and I love helping people. That if someone wants in, then I'll 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 get them in. And you know, again, that's why I had to nearly force myself away from personal training because I kept taking on people that I didn't really have the time to do it and you were then just busted all the time whereas now it's you know it's it's, it's constantly trying to think work-life balance you know and do it in such a way that you future-proof yourself you know well i know um oh geez, we're up, it's almost at that time already well it's been an absolute pleasure i mean i honestly could speak to you for hours but we'll have to have that around yeah, too yeah. soon um but is there how can people get in touch? You know, like we've mentioned the website, we've mentioned the amateur dad, social media. How can people get on, you know, like come and like speak to you, sign up online if you've got slots available? Cool. How can they ask you questions in the amateur dad, find all these amazing sites? So the big thing for me is probably if you go to neilmct.com, so it's N-E-I-L-M-C-T.com and then you'll have all my links and everything will be there. So if you, if you read the about me sort of section, You'll see like YouTube, Facebook, you'll, you'll be able to get guided everywhere else. I've just set the YouTube up, so I'd love to get it sort of pumping a wee bit. Uh, I've just sort of really started pushing it last week or two because um, I had a few videos go up and just wanted to get the layout of it sort of right, you know. So it's all sort of up and ready to go. And then, um, yeah, on the website, you'll have the links to Facebook and stuff. You can go on there and like. And again, any messages I get, I always try and reply to them. And, and even guys, if they book a consultation for the online and I think, you know what, it's, this isn't maybe for you what it is, then I'll always try and help them out and send them the right way, you know, if I can. That's it for another week. Thanks for listening. Absorb it. Practice it. Use it. Until next time. Keep trying to hit that next level in your life.